Tonight's episode of the Tuesday Night Cigar Club is brought to you by Drew Estate. Come experience the rebirth of cigars at www.drewestate.com and download the free Drew Diplomat smartphone app today to discover nearby retailers, RSVP to special events, redeem points to win exclusive Drew Estate merchandise, and much, much more. and sisters of the leaf. And a happy St. Patrick's Day to you, you filthy lushes. By the way, that's me Irish leprechaun voice, if you have to have it explained to you. Anyhow, coming to you live once again from... Oh, um, coming to you live once again from the corner of no hope. It's the Tuesday Night Cigar Club. Tonight the boys discuss the phenomena. I think that should be phenomenon of what's old suddenly being new again in today's pop culture universe as they get nice and toasted on adult beverages while smoking the Los Tados Deluxe Cigar from Forge Cigar Company. These shit-faced he-men are truly the masters of their own special drunken universe, but if you grab a cigar, pour yourself a drink, and crank up the volume, you too shall have the power! Or something like that. You know, I'm, I'm more of a Thundar the Barbarian fan myself. That Princess Ariel just mm, gave me the power, all right. The power in my pants. Ah, hee! What? Seriously? Yeah, ah, hee! That was whole Thundar's whole thing what he would do before he'd charge into battle, pull out the sun sword, and... Yeah, the sun... Oh, dude, I am like the only real Thundar fan left, I guess. Well, anywho, it sounds like we're in store for one hell of a good time, folks. So sit back, light them up, and enjoy the show. Hmm, I thought there were more Thundar fans around than... Huh, well, okay, I'm the only one. Everybody ready to party? Everybody ready to party? I'm ready to party. Okay. Wait, wait. All right, I'm ready now. Let me take one more sip of my podcasting serum. Welcome, everybody, to the Tuesday Night Cigar Club episode 160. Is that right? One, six, zero. Nine more to go. The countdown continues, boys. Uh, everybody doing okay? Doing great. Doing all right. Good. I saw you and the the wife out in the music capital of the world uh, the other night. Uh, 
going to to hear some live music with the youngins. Good show. Yeah, yeah. I, I, no, it, it it wasn't just a good show, gentlemen. This was like one of the top five shows I've ever been to. I mean, this was this was an epic show. The pictures you sent me, uh, which uh, if you're watching us on YouTube, I'm, I'm sure we'll insert some here for your viewing pleasure, were pretty epic stage uh, set design and light show and oh everything. my god okay so muse comes to town that's who we're talking about muse m-u-s-e uh my wife's a big fan i know that one song the madness song and that's about it uh i've seen them like twice now once at acl which had a fabulous light show and then once uh i'm not exactly sure where the second time was and it's a good show i mean it's it was a good show i mean that's I like- why I like that little headless bass that that dude plays. Yeah. That yeah. tiny, that like little. That's yeah, a, it's got the little wah, 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 wah yeah. thing going on it. Yeah, it's a cool uh, little bass you're doing. And, uh, but she's, she's a big fan. And like I said, so when she wants to go, so we'd like, we just, I knew it was going to be a good show. But man, this was, this was a rock opera. I mean, this is the closest thing to a rock opera that I've seen. Like I haven't even seen like the seventies rock opera, but that's what I imagine it was. It was a, it had an, it had a story, the entire, it was an entire story arc for the entire concert. All the songs lined up in that story arc. Um, they had visuals going along with it. And then the first thing is, it's like the story is about like a popular uprising, you know, against uh, the oppressors, whoever oh, that may be. That's the Muse song I like, Uprising. And uh, good song. So the first thing that comes out is like they just just kick it. I mean, it's like, and next thing you know, there's like this anagram that's just erupted in flames in the center of the stage. And there's pyrotechnics going over. And they, they, they dark the stage out and they run this little, like, uh, I guess the closest thing would be kind of like a, uh, what was the V for Fendetta type thing? You know, you got a guy with a hoodie and a mask on. And then when the lights come up, there is like a 70 foot version of that dude. And he's got like lights in his hand and his face is moving back and forth like this. And it was just, it was just really, really good. And the band is really good. And that guy could, freaking sing uh it reminds me a lot of like queen i mean there's a lot of queen elements to it there's some great harmonies he's got a really great voice and the music is just very very structured and very very advanced i mean it's not like a little four chord song there you go yeah Uh, but it was it was it was great i mean the entire time was just fabulous i'll say this from what i've watched of muse uh I'm not going to make the comparison quality wise to rush, but as far as trios go, man, they're extremely tight. Well, and they produce, you say that, and they produce a lot of sound, uh, for three dudes. Yeah. Yeah. Funny thing about that. It's not three dudes. It's four dudes. So like when they're, uh, well, like, uh, you know, on the, on the record, they can track anything. But on stage, yeah, there's four dudes. There's mm. a keyboard player slash guitar player that's all the way in the back, no lights on him. Uh, he never gets to the front of the stage. They never okay. like at the end of the night when the three of them walk out and they're like, "We love you, Austin." 
He's just all the way in the back of the dark going. <laughs> and the dude worked his ass off the entire night. I mean, he was See, all, the, and so. all the live stuff I'd ever seen, the lead singer was switching between keyboards and guitars. And yeah. Oh, probably... he's, a good, he's, a good, he's a good keyboard player. He's really okay. good. Uh, well, it seemed like a, a hell of a show from the picks. And, uh, what was the Asian band that opened up? The, uh, uh, one okay rock. Three words, one okay rock. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, those little dynamos were all over the stage. It was, I'm not even a big fan of their music, but I'm a big fan of the energy they brought to that stage because they just were showing out. Uh, it was like a metal anime type type music it was just all over the place mm-hmm. and uh, i i sit up on instagram i was like dude man you converted me over next thing you know i'm just getting like all these likes from japan and i was oh, like oh dude that's that's awesome uh all right okay one one okay rock one okay rock uh, and that little dude can sing tut approved were you dancing at all during the concert uh, no, but I was standing up. Yeah, well, I wasn't dancing, but I was definitely swaying. Yeah, swaying. Uh, see, that's why I would never go to a concert with you. Yeah. Because well, I... you did that at the Steve Martin show we went to, too, and I thought that was odd. You were the only one dancing. Well, I mean, somebody's got to show respect to the artistry that's on stage. It wasn't during one of his banjo things. He was just talking, and you got up and started dancing. It was odd. <sighs> Really- I was letting him know I was connecting with what he was giving me. Okay. Uh, they asked us to leave. Uh, I don't think you can knock Tut for being in the moment. That's right. Hey, like I always say, you do you. And uh, I'm glad you had fun. There you go. I did. Uh, well, before we get into the thick of it all, as I often do in the show, I'd like to mention something I came across on the uh, news desk it caught my interest, and in this case, certainly not in a good way. Uh, but I, I think you'll guys see why I, I needed to share. Uh, think about it. we got killer viruses, threat of nuclear annihilation hovering all over the, the globe. There's more Chinese spy balloons in the sky than there are those dumbass gender reveal balloons. Uh, they're everywhere. We'll talk more on balloons later. <sighs> Uh, and now this nightmarish development. You ready for this? I'm sorry to bring you guys down if you're already kind of having a rough week, but read the newspaper. That's all there is. It really is. And this one especially it was so depressing. I just had to, to, to vent and to, to get you guys' take on it. Uh, written for the UK's Daily Mail by their deputy health editor, uh, Mansur Shaheen dated February 16th, 2023. The headline reads, <sighs> Men's penises have grown in length by a quarter in the past 30 years. Stanford study finds and doctors are concerned it's a bad thing. Damn right. Are you telling me I missed the boat on this? Damn right. It's a bad thing. Listen to this, Todd. Here's the article. Men's penises have grown rapidly in length in the past 30 years, according to a new study that concerns experts and any sound minded pissed off guy above the age of 30. A meta-analysis by Stanford University researchers found the average erect penis jumped 25% in length from 1992 to 2021, from 4.8 to 6 inches. While it may seem everything, 
while it may seem like every man's wish, the team at Stanford is worried that it may be due to exposure due to exposure to chemicals, sedentary lifestyles, and junk food. Mm-hmm. All right, junk food the, check. The, junk the, food the check. Junk food check. Sedentary lifestyle check. I just need to find some of these chemicals so I can go bathe in them like Bruce fucking Banner. <laughs> the hell's going on here? Um, the Stanford. The Stanford University research team who published their findings on Valentine's Day in the World Journal of Men's Health. Those fuckers, they couldn't even wait till the day after Valentine's Day. I'm sitting there at dinner with my wife. We're waiting on the food. She looks at her phone. She's like, well, here's an interesting article. I'm like, oh, fuck. You know what? This makes this makes total fucking sense. I'm sitting there in class on campus and all the young dudes are sitting there pointing at me and giggling at me. Now I know why. That is exactly why. Anywho, get this. Their study focused solely on penis length. They gathered data from 75 studies performed between 1942 and 2021. In total, measurements of 55,761 men's penises were included. Doctor, that's a lot of penises that were measured, isn't it? Uh, I mean, in some cases, one is too many. Well, now I understand, Doctor, with those nights where you say you're working late and you can't hang out with us. Like You've been busy. I can tell. It makes sense now. Somebody's got to find a cure. Each of these studies gathered data on penis lengths in different states, whether totally flaccid, stretched while flaccid, or while erect. I wonder how they, I wonder how they do the penis stretching. I don't want, no, I don't want that measurement. Uh, the penis stretching one? Yeah, I don't want that one. I wonder what they, what was that thing they strapped Braveheart into to pull him apart? I wonder if they put it like in, was it the rack? Called the medieval rack, yes. Yeah, they just put your penis in a little rack and seemed rather painful, at least the cinematic depiction of it. Uh, continue. Tell me me what I want to know. (laughs) Researchers expected penis length to decrease over the period. Dr. Michael Eisenberg, a professor of urology at Stanford Medicine, said, any overall change in development is concerning because our reproductive system is one of the most important pieces of human biology. If we're seeing this fast of a change, it means that something powerful is happening to our bodies. We should try to confirm these findings, and if confirmed, we must determine the cause of these changes. Yeah, and stop them from happening. Assholes. Like Tut said, have you hung around dudes under the age of 30? Cocky fucks with their big swinging dicks around everywhere, thinking they're better than everybody else. These chemically enhanced freaks of nature need to be rounded up and sent to a camp somewhere in the desert where we don't have to deal with them anymore. Now, granted, it would have to be a rather large camp to accommodate their enormous, impressive wangs. But still, you get the idea. We got to we got to round these people up and get them out of society. Uh, over the entire study period, researchers found the average penis was 3.4 inches long when flaccid. When the flaccid penises were stretched, the average length increased to 5.1. That's almost two inches of stretching. Oh, thank you. Fully erect penises have grown over time, he said. Yeah, no shit, Einstein. I mean, the data speaks for itself. Um, uh, 
Especially during the final portion of the study, he said, Dr. Eisenberg says that the investigation into the causes of these changes needs to be performed. The next big step, he says, is to look at other patient populations, such as the pediatric population, to see if there are similar changes. A doctor, again, you're sort of our medical guy here. Did he just say we need to start measuring kid dicks, like baby dicks? I don't know, man. <laughs> I, I I don't really want to talk about cocks. <laughs> just that's not, that's not what I'm here for, <laughs> Doctor Eisenberg. It's not what you said before we started the. Okay, well, anyway, uh, just as we measure height and weight every year across the U.S., this is something else we could measure in a systematic fashion because it may turn out to be an early indicator of changes in human development. So basically your yearly checkup, he wants to put your penis on a stretcher and, and stretch it out. Would you guys be down for that? No. Second no. part, second part of that question, if that does become the new norm, would you feel pressured to leave a tip? No. No. I guess it would depend on, you know, I, I think that's a judgment call to make that day. Uh, also he finished with, if there's granular data on lifestyle factors or environmental exposures, we could try to understand why this is happening. So my first thought was, man, this blows. Like, I'm already kind of shitty about getting older. And I was telling you guys earlier, the whole pain in the ass, these reader glasses and all this shit. But then I find out that these youngers, youngins, are walking around with these giant ass dicks. It's depressing. They really have the best of everything. Let's assume that we won't, we won't question the efficacy of the study and where it came from. Um, I don't know if the Daily Mail, uh, well, leave that out of it, but I, 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 I I did some other reasons. It's it's legit. It's legit. Okay. Um, why would, why would this be depressing to you? I mean, Uh, you're not, you're not. Like, how do I, I don't think anybody here is in competition with a 30 year old male. Maybe, maybe you guys are, I don't know. That's a good point. That's a good point. I'm in competition with those little fuckers every day of the week. You don't don't know the footsteps that I have to take through that campus. In another, well, apparently they're not all footsteps, Todd. It's got some R2D2s there, but I mean, it's, might not be. Do you know how many times I've had to step over some young guy's wang? It's not pretty. It's not pretty. In, in the academic arena, you are currently in, in competition with, uh, uh, younger men. Yes. But I mean, we're not in competition with them. Well, I agree. I, Dr. I 100% agree with Dr. Eisenberg. It needs to be continue to be studied a to put a stop to it before generation P gets even bigger dicks and B if they can pinpoint what's going on. Bottle it, slap a prescription label on it, and start sharing the wealth. All the, all the old fuckers will buy it. Generation X, us, have put our lives on the line for this country in every which way, shape, or form. It's time we got something back. A few of us did, but not, not most. We, we deserve to be first in line for this giant wiener elixir, am I right? I'm pretty sure we got the name X because of our non-committal status and our anti-establishment, <laughs> anti-socialism. Well, I say, nonetheless, we saddle up and get this done. And guess what? We can jump on a saddle 
a hard leather saddle without sitting on our big inflated dicks because we're over the age of 30. So there, they Generation P can't do that. Big dick losers. Who's with me? I'm out. I just, I, I just want to enjoy my sedentary lifestyle. Hey, that's key part. Don't start moving around too much. They screw it up. And you might want to go get some Burger King after the show. Hey, that should be their new, uh, their new commercial. The double BK Whopper, you know, with loaded with every piece of crap. Talk about a Whopper. This could lead to another kind of Whopper. At the risk of this conversation lasting longer, I can say that I've exercised pretty much every day for a quarter of a century. There's there's no corollary between that and the, the sedentary thing. Uh, I, I didn't. Uh, well, I, I think between the four of us, we could put something together. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, you folks at home certainly didn't tune in to hear a bunch of penis talk. Tut. But what you did tune in to hear about was a whole lot of talk about a whole lot of other things, starting with where the Tuesday night, Tuesday night penis club, not penis club, Tuesday night cigar club is what we are. Uh, I got that confused in my Wednesday night penis club. Uh, by the way, I, I'm going to stop going to that. Uh, it's getting weird. We are the Tuesday Night Cigar Club, and every episode we pair a premium cigar with some fine craft adult spirits, and we talk about a movie. For eight years we've been talking about a movie. Nowadays we do a little thing called the fire pit where we talk about a little bit of uh, whatever's catching our interest at the time, and then we sum it up by uh, talking about something that we all did have the pleasure to all watch. And uh, so far we're only two episodes into this experiment, and I'm a fan. I think it's... I think it's quite uh, different, and uh, it's got a different flow to it, and I like it. So let me introduce the cigar so we can light it. We might not be able to magically get big dicks, but we can smoke a good cigar, damn it. The cigar is the Los Status Deluxe by Forged Cigar Company. It is a 5x50 Robusto, Ecuadorian Sumatra wrapper, a Nicaraguan binder with Nicaraguan and Dominican fillers. I will save price point for la- as at the end of the show, as always. Matt Wilson, senior brand manager of Los Status Deluxe, issued this press release. When we decided two years ago to revamp Los Status Deluxe, we opted to work with Matt Booth to help his to tap his creativity. This collaboration was fortuitous because we're now presenting the new Los Status Deluxe. As our first release with Matt as a new member of our team, we've ultimately taken a great brand and breathed new life into it by calling on modern imagery and a provocative blend that transitions as the smoke progresses. We believe we have all the elements in play to make Los Status Deluxe a brand that everyone will be talking about this summer and beyond. So that was last summer. This is beyond, obviously. Uh, for those listening, we've had Matt Booth on the show, Room 101's Matt Booth. Great, great guy, great guest. Uh, and he recently sold his Room 101 cigar line uh, to – it's now under the uh, umbrella of Forge Cigar Company, uh, General Cigar. Uh, so good on good, – good for Matt. I always celebrate when the, the, the smaller guys get an offer they can't refuse and uh, get some good money. American to, Dream, baby. 
Yeah, help their families. And uh, so good for them. Uh, Matt chimed in with this. I'm honored to have the opportunity to lend my touch and collaborate on the direction of the revitalization of the Los Status Deluxe brand. I believe that with this new expression, this the stance that Los Status Deluxe will take at retail will command the attention of both the traditionalist and pique the interest of the most discerning collectors simultaneously. It is heartfelt that as a byproduct of our efforts, the Los Status Deluxe brand will continue to receive the respect it has long since earned. I'm going to be honest with you. They keep talking about this long history of it. Before this, I had never heard of, never Los, heard of it. Los Status. <laughs> it was an old Cuban brand. Uh, and I guess like, you know, uh, the Americanized versions of Punch and Cohiba and everything else. Um, I'm guessing that, uh, Forged had the rights to the American, uh, version of the, to use the, the branding. And I'm only choosing it tonight to smoke because of Matt Boost involvement. I'm a big fan of him as a blender. Uh, some of my favorite. Smokes over the years have been room 101 smokes. They've always scored high with us. So, uh, that is why we're smoking this. If Matt Booth wasn't involved, I don't really, I can't say that we'd, we'd smoke this. Certainly not probably on the show. Tut, you, uh, quickly, uh, did you get anything on a cold draw before you put fire to it over there? I was more interested in the, uh, just the smell. Of it, I mean, it's got a heavy barnyard smell across of it with a little bit of chocolate in it, so that was kind of kind of cool. And then uh, with me, I just got a light tea on the cold draw. Uh, it is very uh, get some hay and earth. I have a little bit of chocolate there on the. I, I get your I get your dark chocolate on the cold draw. Uh, initial light got just a just a hint of pepper coming through there. Uh, it's almost like a hickory across the palate, just very light on it. Um, Pepper on the nose, hickory through the draw. I am going to join you here, my friend. Yeah, it's not a very not a very peppery at all. Uh, just light. I mean, just a nice little dusting of it. Yeah, it is a nice little crack of white pepper. Quickly, uh, if I get a lighter to work in this place, uh, yeah, here we go. Fire. Yeah, not bad. Not bad. I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying it so far. I love the rustic appearance of it, the rustic feel of it. Uh, I know it's, it is a very rustic and a very dark, uh, Sumatran wrapper. A lot yeah. darker than, uh, lot darker than we usually see Ted, i'll give you the woodsy on the draw and the white pepper on the nose yaks that copacetic with what you're getting here early on yeah fairly spot on like you i mean just the initial i mean real strong hay little touch of the the chocolate light up little little blast of of spice but not just, you know, overwhelming initially. All right. Let's uh, puff on it for a little bit while we uh, discuss what we're drinking here this evening. And got a nice uh, little 
smoke profile generated as well. Yeah, it is. It is smoking uh, a lot now that I got the thing. Uh, the thing lit. Okay. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. Yak boy, I did uh, tell the people that we tend to pair these things expertly with adult beverages, and seeing as how you're the most popular, affable, and handsome bartender at. And I'm sorry, co-owner of uh, O'Brien's Irish Pub in downtown historic Temple, Texas. Uh, you can find a link to that on our website. Oh, look, Tut's wearing his O'Brien's Pub t-shirt. Good on you. Um, you are the by far the most uh, qualified person here to speak on what we're drinking. I'm going to start with Tut. What's Tut drinking tonight? Well... Because Ted is also drinking what I am drinking, and that is Guinness for all of your stout needs. All but only Guinness. Well, we've certainly uh, we've certainly featured Guinness on the show uh, in various incarnations uh, many many times. I think we all are. I think we all love a good pint of Guinness. If I'm drinking Guinness, you must know that either I've had a bad day or St. Patrick's Day is just around the corner. And in this case, it's both of those reasons. <laughs> um, okay. Did did um uh did you did you any thought go into our our talking points this evening, or are you just in the mood for a Guinness? No, it's a March. I mean, here we are. Uh March just kicked on away, St. Patrick's Day is on the way. It's time to get some get, get some good Irish love on it. Okay, it is March. Uh, Yak boy, was that your thinking as well? It is. It is indeed. Okay. All right. Uh, I guess Yaks for the one millionth time. You want to <laughs> give the folks at home any kind of a uh, quick backstory on Guinness? <laughs> Tell us about uh, Bud Light. It's, it's, it's 1759. Oh. In the year of our Lord, 1759. It's been around for a long time. It yeah, has. But here's the thing. Here's the thing I don't like. They changed the can, the drought can. This is the, uh, the drought stout. Now it's like Guinness. Drought Stout gives back to America. And it's like, you know, we want to make sure that every can that you drink, we want you to know that we're giving and donating to an American charity. And I'm like, that's great and everything, but that's not why I I bought you. I bought you because you're an Irish beer and I wanted Irish beer and I've loved Guinness ever since I started drinking beer. I don't. I don't care about your America branding. Sorry, that, that's is, not there, is there is there a growing uh, sentiment in America that like an anti-Irish thing where they felt like they needed to win us over? I don't know. Maybe their maybe their sales are slagging a little bit, and they're like, we really need to not let the American people know that that we're for America to keep up with their craft beers and stuff. I don't know. Yeah, I don't care for that either. I wouldn't think that Guinness would need to do that. It's the number one sold stout in the world. You know who I bet was behind it? But the world. You know who I bet was behind it? Think about it. The Edge. The Edge? 
Yeah, a little squirrely guitar player with the beanie for you two. <laughs> I thought you were referring to the 1997 movie featuring Alec Baldwin, Anthony Hopkins, and a grizzly bear. Uh, I believe the Edge was in that movie. <clears throat> he played the grizzly bear. No, he played a scientist. Hmm. But but he he wouldn't take that beanie off, so it was very distracting. Basically, any problems that I have with anything that's Irish, I just blame the edge. And I think you guys should. No, I, I I'm, not, I'm not sure that's how it works. Anything that's wholesome and good in the world, I associate with the edge. Oh, you're an edge fan. I'm an edge fan. Yes, that's correct. Hmm. Interesting. What's your favorite U2 song? Oh, man. No, just one. Just one. Doctor, what's yours? Hey, you put me on the spot. I mean, I've got a lot of good songs. I like uh, New- I'll probably I like- lean towards something older. I like New Year's um, Day. I liked, uh, I liked the, that, that's a good song. I, I, I would go back to that time period. I liked the October album. Mm-hmm. Um, Gloria, that's a good one. Is that what I think that was on that one? They had another one called Rejoice. Um, I, I would pick something from the, you know, probably the the, and not to be hipster, but I would probably pick something from the pre Joshua Tree era. It seems like that was the album where they kind of became really huge on an international scale. And I'm not saying that things after that weren't good; they were. I just, I would probably pick something from, uh, the, the Unforgettable Fire was a really good album. Yeah. Actually, the actual song, I think the, the, I believe it's the, the title song, The Unforgettable Fire was, was a good one. Yeah. Joshua Tree gave us, uh, Bullet the Blue Sky though. I like that song. And then uh, Actung Baby gave us, uh, Until the End of the World. Great song. And then later on, they did that weird disco thing and, uh, uh, they did a song called Lemon that was really good. None of which credit goes to the edge. They I'm also going, did a fantastic. I, I'm going straight. I'm, I'm going straight lamehead. Then I'm going all Joshua Tree. I, uh, what I'm looking for is probably the probably my favorite. Uh, With or without you runs so close to. And I'm ashamed to admit, but I forgot the name of the song. But we had our bridesmaids walk down to you too. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, Here I am trashing on it. It was like a big, <laughs> big part, a big part of your special day. <laughs> they they also did a great, uh, I say guest stint, but they they lent their voices to their animation on on an episode of The Simpsons. They they participated in that and did a good one. That's true. That's true. Uh, okay. Yak Boy, what's your oh. favorite YouTube song? Oh, I can't say as I'm just huge on YouTube, but, uh, we'll say Red Brick Money Town. Bloody Sunday. Sunday, uh, Bloody hey, Sunday. can't go wrong. It's a great that. intro. It's a great intro. Yeah. Uh, okay. So we got two Guinnesses. Uh, some mediocre U2 fans and although I, I've listed off like 12 good songs of theirs. So I, I, I like the band. It's something about that calling yourself. It's beca- well, is it the edge? I thought you're, you, you would get into on, uh, Bono's activism. Oh no, I'm okay with that. Okay. Is it, is it strictly right. the nickname, Kay, the, the, yeah. Bono? yeah. Okay. But 
To be fair, he did pioneer a sound and a style of playing that is pretty much generationally defined, as is. I mean, when you listen to that loopback sound, and nobody think of any, any other guitarist but The Edge. Well, we'll agree to disagree there. <laughs> I, th- I, I think that band is carried by Larry Mullen Jr. That's big facts. Is that the, is that the bass player? Uh, I thought it was a drummer. I don't know. Uh, no, bass player is Adam Clayton. Okay. Uh, uh, and I and I and I like you too. We we jest around here. We jest. I don't need the edges handlers coming after me, throwing <laughs> throwing potatoes at me while I'm going to the mailbox. They're one of my they're one of my remaining must see bands that I've never seen live. Oh, okay. God, I hope I don't have to fly out to Vegas to watch a residency show. Probably will. Not to mention, like, I mean, after years of being on the front line of political advocacy and now you're doing a residency in Vegas, like the seat of greed and capitalism, and there there you are doing a residency, you bunch of sellouts. Hey, Mrs. The Edge has to eat, too. You're right. You could travel the world spreading your message, or you could just go to one of those places that all of the world comes to. CX gets it. Crossroads. Global crossroads. Yeah, see? And can make a hefty paycheck doing it. (laughs) To give to charity. Yeah. Right. Hey, we got offers to take Tuesday Night Cigar Club to do a Vegas residency, and I, I, I put my foot down. It's absolutely not. No, I agree with that stance. Wait, what were, what were we going to be paid? Uh, we're going to be paid in ribs. It was going to be at Mickey Gillies. It was in old Vegas, uh, Mickey Gillies Casino. We were going to play the intermission of the female mud wrestling matches, and they were just going to pay us in ribs. Okay. I'm still not hearing a downside here. Well, I found out you of course is a good capitalist, so I found out you too was going to be going there and I don't want to run into the edge. I've been talking a lot of shit. I don't want that dude beat me up. We reap what we sow, okay? We reap what we sow. Like a fly on the wall. What? That doesn't make any sense. Uh okay. It is March. Two boys are drinking Guinness. Doctor, did you pick up some of your uh, beloved Oberon wheat ale for this evening's uh, festivities? Oh, boy. Once I drank Oberon wheat ale, and then about two or three shows later, forgot that I'd had it, purchased it again. And apparently I'm never going to live that down again for the rest of my life. Uh <laughs> But there's only nine shows left, so I, I guess the rest of my go. life won't be much longer. No, I actually picked something up that I uh know that I did not have before. Uh It is by Bells, who I believe makes the Oprah Wheat Ale. Yes, yes, they do. Uh But it is the uh, uh very simple named official Hazy IPA. Ah, uh, uh, yes. Bells <laughs> Brewing. Uh, yeah, boy, you know a lot about, uh, regulations and stuff. They can't just slap that word official on there without it being official, correct? That, well, that sounds braggadocious that to me. Correct. 
Uh, yeah, also, I don't think anyone actually owns the word official or can own the word official. Yeah. Gene Simmons does. Yeah. Is that official? Is there a little, is there a little kiss trademark next to official? Yagboy, yeah, tell us about the, uh, official hazy IPA. Or is it hazy or just a regular IPA? It is a, it it's is a hazy. It's a hazy. Okay. Okay. Oh, it is made with a slew of hops. Azteca, Cascade. Mm, the classics. Uh, Mosaic. Oh, yeah. There you go. So, you know, it's all in there. Uh, and, but, I mean, it is, it is just giving it a 6.4% ABV. But of course, it is a hazy and they threw 55 IBUs, which I'm like, eh, hazies never, ever get that high. Doctor, are you getting uh, a generous bit of bitterness or not so much? Uh, no on the bitterness. Um, so I know you guys have said that that's usually false advertising with the, the IBUs. Uh, so no, it is not hitting me in the face with bitterness, but, uh, I have enjoyed it and, uh, I am going to go to the, uh, ice repository and get myself another can of it. Uh, okay. Good deal. Um, I'm glad you got a beer that tastes good. Thank you. And and one I have not had before. There you go. As far as I remember. Well, uh, we'll end the booze discussion on me. I, uh, had a clear, a clear choice for this evening. Uh, last week, Yagboy and I were honored to travel north to Dallas, uh, as guests. Oh yeah. Uh, how'd that go? Uh, we were guests of, uh, Bill Goulds of, uh, Faith No More and Yebiga. Uh, Rakia. Uh, he was kind enough to ask us if we'd like to come. He was doing a, a product launch there, uh, in front of the, man, Yaks, how many people would you say were in there? 30, 40? Yeah. Get that, get that bottle on your screen. Get that bottle on your screen. There you go. Um, yeah. Let me see her beautiful face. Baba. <laughs> there she is. Um, so yeah, we showed, we, we went, went up to Dallas. Uh, we, uh, when we arrived, there was, Two chilled, uh, shots of the barrel aged Perva and the, uh, stainless steel clear, uh, Bella waiting for us at our, at our table. That's a hell of a way to walk into a room. Um, so we, uh, we, we got to, got to sip in that. Turns out we, I think we we're supposed to save that for the presentation. It was like a tasty thing, but aren't we just oops? Oops. Uh, there, we had a very nice waiter who, uh, TMCC style. Who helped, helped us out. Uh, no, Bill showed up. We got to chat a little bit and then he, uh, he did a presentation. It was all, uh, members of the Dallas area Balkan community. Um, yeah. We, we, uh, yeah, we sat at a table with, uh, a couple. Um, I believe she was Serbian. Um, he was just a, a Texan like us. Uh, very nice couple. Uh, it was cool hearing kind of because we, when Bill was on our show, telling us about the history of Rakia and how these families make it, uh, themselves and, and keep it stowed away for special occasions and whatnot. And we actually got to hear a lot of those stories just mingling with the people. Like, yeah, she, firsthand, huh? Like she got, she didn't have a sip until she was 27 years old, but she remembered the day and the occasion. And then later this other guy came in late to the party. Uh, another just, you know, boring Texan guy like us who married a, 
uh, a woman from overseas and uh, he's like, so, so what's the, he just got off work. The guy's like really tired. He kind of sat down with us and he was eating and he's like, so what's going on with the, how's the, how's the, the Rakia? I was like, oh man, it's delicious. And I, I start kind of giving him like educating him on, on what I'm assuming. And he just kind of looks up at me. He's like, my, my wife's family comes to visit every two, three months. I have more Rocky in my house. Like I'm going, when I die, there will be hundreds of, bo- every time they come, they bring me Rocky. Like I know about Rocky. I'm like, Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Uh, I was like, well, this one's really good though. Um, but yeah, it was just different stories and whatnot. And then, um, we, uh, we, the, the restaurant was very, very nice Italian place. Was it 400 Grandi? Was that the name of it? Yes. Grotti. 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 Um, but yeah, we had, we had a blast. Uh, we stayed a couple hours. So how did, how did they, uh, how did they receive Mr. Gould? I mean, were they, uh, supportive, uh, warm or they're like, get your gringo ass out of here? No. Interloper. Very, the opposite. Very, very, uh, very warm and open to, uh, but it, but it was, it was definitely a different experience as far as like introducing it to guys like us to keep using yeah, that phrase, yeah. but, uh, who have no idea what the fuck it is and where it came from. Like these people, he, he was preaching to the choir on the, the magic of Rakia and at the same time, uh, really getting across the passion that he's put into, to his line. Yeah. And, where it came from, he talked, you know, about touring and falling in love with the the region and, un, you know, the same story, unable to to bring any back with, unable to find it here in the States. And thank God now uh, he's got distribution in Texas. It's growing. Uh, this He did kind of a Texas tour. He spent a couple of days in Houston and then Dallas. Uh, so hopefully we're going to start seeing this out there more and more. But um, it, it was, it was, it was a lot of fun. It was, it, I, we we got to talk to a lot of cool people. We got to talk with Bill uh again at the at the end of the night. And uh so yeah, it was just a, a cool thing to experience. So I am uh drinking the Perva uh Rakia from Bill this evening because no matter how the cigar is, I've learned there's not I've yet to have one that hasn't paired well with the Perva. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's just the that that and that that Tiny bit of smokiness and vanilla from the barrel aging, but then the, the plum sweetness is just there enough to really light up the, the taste buds. And it, it really just kind of shoots a spark into whatever cigar you're doing. And sure enough, it's working for me on this. I'm getting a little sweetness on the draw, which I, I don't think is from the cigar. I bet, I imagine you guys are not experiencing any sweetness. No, not no. really. Not. I'm actually getting more of a, uh, on the, on the draw more of a mineral type. I am getting no type. mineral. I am still getting that, that subdued white pepper now in the nose. It's, yeah. it's mild to medium pepper at this point. I'm yeah. I think still, the actual pepper in the retro hell is picking up. I'm getting, I'm about right here with it. I'm, I am getting, uh, along with that woodsy kind of hickory on the draw, I'm getting a, a pretty bold black coffee, like a, like a bold French roast straight up black coffee, which, uh, I, I I wasn't expecting uh this 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 much boldness. Uh yeah. It's it's pretty in your face with the, the flavor profile so far. Would you would you guys agree with that? 
Yeah, I definitely think it's, it's, uh, as I like to call it, flavor forward. Uh, yes. Okay. Well, hey, speaking of, uh, cigars, you know who makes some damn good ones, Ted? I bet you're about to tell us about our friends at Drew Estate. I am going to tell you about our friends at Drew Estate, our good friends at All Drew right. Estate. Love those guys. Well, they got a new stick out right now that y'all will definitely want to get your hands on. It also is dark, bold, unapologetic. It is the blackened cigar, the M81 by Drew Estate. It's an intense journey into the uncharted, deepest, darkest, heaviest depths of Maduro tobacco. A masterpiece collaboration between Metallica's James Hetfield, Sweet Amber Distillian's Rob Dietrich, and Drew Estate's Jonathan Drew. The All Maduro Blackened Cigars M81 by Drew Estate is rich, it's powerful, but it's beautifully balanced, offering tantalizing notes of leather, chocolate, and espresso that's perfect for both life celebrations and a time of reflection. Hey, just like Rakia. So for funerals and funerals and weddings, you can't go wrong. And I gotta admit, and I tell you, I know you smoke quite a few. This is one of Willie's Herrera's as, as Drew Estate's master blender. This is one of his really most fascinating cigars that I think really shows off his skill set. Uh, because an all Maduro cigar, there's so many pitfalls this thing could have easily fallen into, uh, to where, to, to the finished product. And it is balanced. It has got a really yeah. balanced profile and it's a hell of an enjoyable smoke. I, I, yeah. I haven't been able to find, uh, any other than the, the few you gave me, Tut. And then when they were in the, uh, Freestyle Live Mystery Pack. So I'm, I'm dying to try more. Uh, I really liked it. You can find them at Habana House North in Austin, Texas. Well, Which, you- by the way, uh, of course, by the time you guys see this, it'll be too late, but, uh, Willie's going to be there, uh, this Friday. That is correct. Willie is coming for a visit, uh, and I believe there's a ton of M81 deals going on, some sweet swag. So you'll miss that one, but uh, check out DrewEstate.com for an event near you. Nobody nobody does the live events like Drew Estate. All right. Uh, well, we, while we continue on this uh, journey with this cigar, uh, you, you guys, I'm not even going to ask you about your drinks moving forward. You've you've all drank million, millions of Guinnesses. <laughs> Everybody loves Guinness. Nobody's ever drank Guinness and not liked it. Uh, doctor. My mom even loves Guinness. Doctor, you, uh, sounds like you've, you've found a winner, a winner there. Uh, officially a winner. Uh, officially I have. Um, so now we'll dig right into the fire pit. Uh, this, this portion of the show is kind of geared around when we, uh, get together at Yak Boy's house around the fire pit and we just, Usually haven't seen each other for a bit and we just kind of, uh, are just excited. I, I can't promise you excitement tonight, but, uh, we're usually very excited to tell everybody what we, you know, if we watch something or we like Tut was telling me about the concert, you know, you just wanted to, you want to share what's, what's, what you're digging at the time. And that's what we're doing now. Uh, doctor. Yes, sir. I mentioned the Chinese spy balloon earlier. And I got to say, I was somewhat surprised when you told me how captivated you were by the story in the news. And it led you down somewhat of a rabbit hole as far as watching uh, more videos concerning things like crop circles, Area 51, extraterrestrials with their tiny shriveled up third moon from Pluto micro penises and so forth. 
inquiring minds want to know, did you come up after watch soaking in all this uh, media that was sparked by the Chinese spy balloon? Did you come up with any concrete answers on all this bewildering stuff? And what the hell about that balloon struck a chord with you that got you in, invested in the, in the story? Cause I mean, it was all over the place, but I, that, it, you, that caught me off guard that you were intrigued by this. Well, it's, it's funny. Um, for some reason, uh, I found the whole idea fascinating. Uh, and of course it became politicized quickly, right? And, you know, the Republicans wanted to scramble fighter jets and blast it out of the sky. Uh, and, uh, the current, you know, Democratic administration under Biden were wanting to wait. It's not quite safe. Who knows who's right or wrong, but there's just something about the, uh, the whole thing that it just made me think how I would react if I were, say, playing golf on a Saturday morning and all of a sudden a giant white balloon that no one was sure of its origin appeared in the sky. Mm. Um, uh, so I really don't know why. Um, but I did become fascinated by it and. Obviously, it was identified as, I mean, our government's arguing with the Chinese over what the intent was, but it was identified as a man-made obstacle or structure. Um, and so I had, uh, I, I don't know why it struck a chord. I had always kind of been a a fan of the, the History Channel show Ancient Aliens, Um I found some of the, the theories on there kind of interesting. Um, but the balloon itself caused me to watch a movie that I previously had no interest in seeing. Uh, and that was the film Nope. Uh, the one that was written, produced and directed by Jordan Peele, who, who made, you know, the movie, yeah. uh, and us. What, yeah. what'd you think about that? Uh, well, I will say this. It, I was invested. For the entire two hour and 15 minute running time, which says something. Um, it's not specifically about extraterrestrials. Um, and of course, for people who don't know, right, a UFO, or, or I believe now they're calling it unidentified aerial phenomenon. Now it's a yeah, UAP. UAPs now, yeah. So that just means there's an object in the sky. You don't know what it is. So like when people say, I believe in UFOs, well, no shit, idiot. I mean, a UFO doesn't mean anything. It's just something we can't identify. Um, nope isn't specifically about extraterrestrials. I mean, they, they, they give this away pretty early on. It's not a mystery. There, there is a, an alien presence, but there's something hanging in the sky over this desert gulch in, in California. Um, Jordan Peele himself said that it's about spectacle, uh, and how people react to that. Uh, rather than any sort of straightforward alien story. And I can okay. see where he's getting out with that. And also imagery and how people react to images. Um, like I said, I was invested for the two hours and 15 minutes. So on that basis, I would recommend watching it if you haven't seen it. I definitely have some problems with it. In fact, in the early stages, uh, and I had told Kate I was going to watch it that evening, I almost texted you and said, it's a nope on nope. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, there were even some situations early where I thought, oh, wow. Jordan Peele was a big fan of the film Magnolia. And that that's not a good thing for me. No, my, me neither. Um, 
but uh, it got better. It got more interesting. There's there's some disjointedness to it. Um, there's some really cool images. There's some, I mean, and it really it does keep you interested. Uh, but there's a disjointed aspect to it. I honestly think that hate to criticize the guy. This he's he's original and uh, you know trying to not just go down the same road. Uh, he takes a different path. Was I haven't seen us. I did see Get Out. Um, but, uh, I feel like there was just some situations where I recognized writing that I thought was bad dialogue and that can kind of remove you somewhat from a scene. Mm. Yeah. You know, why is this happening? This doesn't make sense that the characters would go this way sort of thing. But, uh, so there's, I'll I'll continue to use that word disjointedness, but I, I was interested in the movie. It certainly kept me, uh, captivated about what's going on for the whole way. Um, in addition to that, like I mentioned that, uh, I've always been interested in, in the television show, A- ancient aliens, um, and some of the theories on it. And so I also, and again, I, I really wish I could answer why the balloon sparked this interest. It was really just my imagination running wild. I actually went back and watched the movie signs with Mel Gibson, the M night Shyamalan movie from 20 years ago. Can and, I offer a theory? Yes, because I, 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 a theory on what? Why you might have been interested? Yes, or I'm Why it might have sparked it? Yes. Because it, it brings to the, it brings to the whole image of Roswell in the fifties. You know, you've got a, a weather balloon that, that crash lands. Everybody thinks it's a, it's a UFO. So, you know, anytime you have that balloon in the sky that everybody's like, you know, what the hell is it you're trying to identify? I think that's like the first thing that really pops into a lot of people's head. I mean, even, even just, even when the, I tell you it's a unidentified weather balloon, you still get that imagery, that Roswell imagery because of how famous that incident is. That makes sense. And it leads me to what I hope really becomes the fire pit part of this topic. And I hope it's interesting to everybody is I wanted to throw it out there and ask you guys Roswell being a, a major one tut, but also crop circles. And I don't know if anyone ever read the book by Eric Von Danik and chariots of the gods, which is a, yes. a, a centerpiece on ancient aliens. I kind of guess that Yaks probably watched an episode of ancient aliens or two. I've watched um, many episodes of Ancient Aliens. <laughs> the Nazca lines in Chile. Okay, good, because so have I. So I was kind of, I wanted to pose this question to the group based on all of this. And we can go back and talk more about Nope if you have any more questions about it or anything, but, or Signs with Mel Gibson. But I was just curious what you guys thought, because out of all of our conversations, nobody here has really pegged themselves as a rampant, wild-eyed conspiracy theorist. And I don't look at this as conspiracy theory. I was curious, when it comes to Roswell or crop circles or anything else you ever heard or read about, what are your thoughts? Do you have any thoughts on the existence of extraterrestrials? Uh, is there other life out there? Do you have a specific theory on Roswell or crop circles or any of the things that have been espoused on ancient aliens? Uh, I just kind of wanted to throw that out because it's really, really has been on my mind and really is fascinating me. And I don't see that going away with me anytime soon. Uh, so I was kind of curious. I really want to throw that out there and see 
what each of you thought, if you had any specific thoughts on, on extraterrestrials, uh, and I'll stop there. I, I'll say this because I imagine Tud and, and Yaks are, are probably more well read and well watched in this, in this area. Um, I am not familiar with the ancient aliens. Is it a TV show? Yes, it's on the history channel. Yes. Oh, okay. Yes. Is that the one with the meme with the guy with the hair sticking out? Talking about the guy with the hair. It's, it's aliens or whatever. Okay. I, I've never uh, caught an episode of that. I, I will say this. Um, just last week, there was uh, an article in Newsweek where a retired Navy pilot, very respected naval career, uh, because they they finally have formed some kind of task force in Congress or something to look at these unidentified aerial UAPs. And he was telling these stories about in this lockdown airspace where they would, I want to say it was, sorry, I, I, I would have, I would have done a little more preparation if I, if I was good at my job, uh, but I'm not. But anyway, uh, he was saying how seeing these unidentified objects when they were doing their Navy test test runs over this restricted airspace it became so common and these objects i think he described them as cube cubed in nature and they were able to move faster than the speed of sound but they didn't have any seemingly kind of uh propellant or engine they could stop they could float absolutely still these cubes and eventually several of their test lights, they had to call back to base and abort the, the test mission because it was too dangerous. Cause they were get they kept thinking they were going to hit one of these things. And he, this guy was a big advocate. He'd just started a new, you know, nonprofit to, to put more research and, and attention on these UAPs. Cause he's like, we've seen them as Navy pilots, there are things that we have encountered in 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 the air that have no basis in our in human engineering and have known uh, mechanic mechanical capabilities and it was a very convincing um argument and you see i think mark ruby mark ruby marco rubio is real big on uh putting more resources into uh identifying what these things are um, so, I, you know, not to politicize it again, like everything else, but man, I, I, I've always been the, the opinion that you, you'd be foolish to think that we're alone, but I also think you'd be foolish to think that whatever's out there resembles anything like us. So short answer, doctor, in my opinion, there's no little green, green guys with big heads, um, you know, like our typical Martians, uh, or like the kind of ones you saw in signs, those, those guys walk in the, the street. That's a great shot in signs. That one where you see that one quick thing on the news where they see the down in yeah. Brazil or whatever, where they caught one on, on camera. Um, I, I, I think there's probably something, but I think it's probably, uh, on a whole nother level than our, uh, you know, let's face it as a society, our, our dicks might be getting bigger, but our brains aren't. And I, I don't think we can fully comprehend whatever it is that's out there. And if something's visited us, 
I, I would stand to reason, I would think if they could get to our planet and, uh, set these little, whatever they are out into the sky to do whatever they're doing, uh, if they wanted to, they could probably wipe us, wipe us out fairly quickly if that was their goal. So, uh, I don't know. I guess I'm blindly ignorant. I think there's something out there, but I don't think in my lifetime we'll ever, we'll ever know what it is. Interesting. Uh, okay. That, that makes sense. Tut, Yax, I'm curious. Any, any, any thoughts? Towards that end, I would probably say my, my, I always go after it through the lens that, you know, at the time of Roswell and, you know, as we, and especially after World War II, you know, a lot of context has to be given in the fact that we, gained so much new knowledge after raiding all of the Germans. We took half their scientists, Operation Paperclip. That coupled with our own know-how and, of course, our other allies, things grew. The, the technology, I mean, we literally went from, you know, propeller-driven aircraft to jets like really quick. I mean, it wasn't, you know, you could say developed. I mean, it was really quick to where we reached the unimaginable because, you know, uh, you know, all through the eighties, number one plane, the coolest plane was the SR 71. And, you know, back in that day, everyone, you know, when it debuted, People were like, look at this thing. It's, you know, it's supersonic and all this other stuff. But it debuted in the 80s, but it actually, that was when it was actually, it didn't debut. That's when the government told us it existed. So that's when we started seeing pictures of it. It actually debuted. It actually went into service in the early 60s. It was the replacement to the U-2, which we, the actual U-2 plane, not the band. Oh, thank God. Okay. <laughs> but damn that, that edge. Damn you, Edge. Or the SR 71 was the developed. Edge. It was developed starting in the 50s. Prototypes were made, all of that, and it was put into service in the early 60s for the CIA, by the CIA, operated by the Air Force. So that level of aircraft. Okay. And I mean, we only broke the sound barrier. Right there, you know, uh, Jaeger back, I think that was like 47 or 48. So from the time our first breaking of the sound barrier by a vehicle and basically, you know, 12, less than 15 years, we went from the Bell X1 to the SR 71. And to date, since the sixties, they have the, our, our government and no government has, has said we have made a plane that goes faster. It still holds all the records, so to speak. But we already know that there are other vehicles. So, 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 you know, so to 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 clear this up for me, where you're coming from, Yax, are you are you of the assumption that 
there's probably pro alien or anti alien. Are you? Are, are, is your theory that there's a, a lot of shit out there that we that it, that is ours, our making? That just like they kept that shit under wraps for 20 years, there's a high likelihood that the, a lot of these things that people are seeing are U.S. military that we're just not we're just not privileged enough to know about it yet. Oh well, yes, but it's the other ones where you've actually got the military people saying, "I saw something." And when they're saying, like, I saw something, what they're really saying is, I see a lot of crazy shit because I was part of certain programs. But when I say that I was up there flying and I saw something that I didn't know what it was, then you can tell that's when it freaks them out. Otherwise, you know, people are like, the aliens came and abducted me. And you see them like, yeah, okay, you got it, buddy. Good job. We believe you. So what do you make then, Yax? Because where I thought you were going was there's, there's two foundational elements of the ancient aliens theory. Um, one is, and I wanted to ask you about this, because you, you mentioned you had read Eric Von Daniken's book. I have. Okay. It's been a while, but I did read it, yes. So so for, for Cade and Todd, I don't know if you've watched Ancient Aliens before, but there there's mm-hmm. two the ancient aliens, there there's one huge foundational principle that they operate on, which is that uh extraterrestrials did visit the earth and interact with mankind in what we consider ancient times. And they uh-huh. have since then, which is a convenient theory. Cause someone go, well, nobody's ever seen them in 2000 years or whatever, but uh-huh. things like the pyramids and Stonehenge and all that. And there's other things, even ch- certain chapters of the, of the Bible and the new Testament can be considered depending on symbolism. I'm not saying I believe anything. I'm just saying. I found uh-huh. Uh-huh. And then the other part of it, um, is that that's one part of it. The other certain foundational principle of that show is that a lot of the technology, the rapid advancement in technology, which the is describing and which can be easily attributable 100% to developments made by human beings, that aliens have visited Earth in more recent times, whether it was Roswell or something else, they were humanoid type people and that they did, they were friendly and that with their help, we were able to reverse engineer certain types of technology. Now, Tut, I can see you are bursting to say something. So go ahead. All right, viewers, if you want to go get you some coffee and settle in for the next 45 minutes, I will give my dissertation on the ancient Indian theory. Uh, no, actually, I, I, I I do believe in extra some sort of extraterrestrial life. I think if nature can do it once, it can definitely do it again. Uh, I think it's the height of arrogance to think that we are alone and unique. Uh, we might be unique, but we are definitely not alone. Um, I have a real problem with ancient, especially like of its origin, um, ancient alien origins, and then even to the point of like, I, if if I concede that there are aliens out there, then and if I concede that there are are somehow um, being seen today by naval pilots, which you know I, I I've heard a couple of the interviews from from navy guys and astronauts, and I'm like, man, it's hard to refute that because 
you know, that guy seems pretty trustworthy. So I'm going to take them, take them at their word. So if they, if they are seen like present day, then obviously they would be, or been, they could have been around in, in ancient times, but I have a problem with the whole, you know, aliens built the pyramids, aliens did this tech, helped us get this technological advance. Aliens did this because to me, it discredits the, enormous amount of creativity and ingenuity that I think humanity has. Um, we have lost more information in our, in the history of man than we have learned. Uh, you know, when we talk, when we talk about rocket science, the Germans didn't invent rocketry. That was invented in the 1800s by a Russian farm boy who, who didn't even have a ninth grade education. He literally wrote down the formulas and basically birthed rocketry. Uh, and they, we didn't even discover that until, you know, 80 years after that. Uh, then, and, and, and we have this, this, this history of doing that. Like we think that computers, uh, as we, we envisioned them, it was like something that sprang up in the forties and sci-fi and all this. No, Iraq had a calculating computer, an actual ones and zeros type computer, uh, it wasn't electric, but it was the same sort of deal. And they had that back in what the 1300s. I mean, we have we have we go through this cycle of we learn a bunch of shit, and then we get very religious, and anything that is from science is bad. And then you know, in the Dark Ages, they actually burnt all of this knowledge. Hopefully, this time, as the Dark Ages are approaching us, and everything is that is science is turning bad now. Hopefully the internet will save that catalog and we don't have a fire in Alexandria or we don't have the Catholic church burning everything. Um, I, I think that a lot of the things that we are, that ancient aliens and especially that show attributes to alien interference. I, man, I, 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 I don't believe that. I have a hard time to believing it. Um, I think that, I think that we we've done that stuff. It, you know, when we talk about the technological advance, there's actually a formula about how technology will double. You know, given a certain a certain time period, and you got to think about it. All the technological advance that was coming from the 40s on up, we had the entire government throwing money after money after money after it, and that was built upon, like Yak said, the Germans' population that was throwing money after money after money in their war effort, we get into the Cold War, and it's got the entire resources of two powerful nations that are that are built upon it. And to me, that's, that's the sad thing, is that when you see what we can do when we've decided that it could help us kill somebody, we, te- we technologically advance our ass off. And it, no, no aliens were needed. And so that's, that, that's my thing with the ancient alien theory. I think that they are out there. I think that, you know, whether they are hovering above Los Angeles in incognito mode, I don't know. Maybe my wife's an alien. I don't know. Uh, I, I don't think she is. But I, I just, I man, I have a hard time with this whole aliens among us type thing until I see it. I mean, it's been what, 60, 70, 80 years, and we don't have any proof of this shit? I mean, come on. Well, that, that's the thing. There there really isn't much concrete evidence. And uh, it sounds like there's a consensus here amongst the group that, you know, 
yeah, why would we think we're alone? The universe is vast. Who knows? But as far as it sounds like there's a consensus that the most of the ancient aliens theory with this group is, is somewhat hogwash that, uh, well, so I, and I don't say that it's it's hogwash, but there is to me that point where I'm like, yeah, we don't know, you know, like you take some of the the ancient megalithic sites. That's what a lot of them point to, you know, the, the places where you know just giant rocks were cut, shaped, moved in some cases hundreds of miles from where they were quarried, and in some instances, you know, it's it's you know like. At the time, you know, when they said that they built the, like the Great Pyramid. Well, it is one of the things where they say, well, at the time of the building of the Great Pyramid, uh, the Egyptian people didn't have the wheel. They didn't u- utilize the wheel. And it's just kind of like, well, no, that doesn't make any sense. I mean, that's, that's the standard consensus. My they say, oh, we've got. You, you so have the like, History Channel pulling off an ancient alien show that says it can't be done. And then you have like the Science Channel putting a show together and says, yes, it can. And this is how they did it. And they actually get a team to do it with using nothing but, you know, logs and ropes. Right. But the other thing is, is like this. I'm just like, but the, the whole time you also show that they're people, they're, they're the, the people uh what they would consider like the high priests of Egypt had very sophisticated understanding of, of math. They understood pie. They understood, if you know, pie, you know how to make a wheel and it wouldn't be beyond someone who would just, you know, to make a ball and then roll it and then say, wait a second. I mean, because I mean, if you built the pyramid, which is a massive, amazing, under, I mean, it is, you know, the undertaking, the logistical undertaking of it alone is what is one of the best organizational structures. Because I mean, to, to get all the rock, to have it quarried shape, to have the people, the tools, the food necessary to feed them, the place to house them, everything for a project that's going to last, I mean, you know, decades. And like, you know, Tut said, I was like, we, we, they discount how sophisticated it ha- takes to be. People say, oh, well, they were primitive in comparison. Primitive how? I mean, that is a major, today we, we struggle to build things of even significantly smaller size. So I'm just like, well, I mean, what was it? The Emirates. You know, they had slave labor build that World Cup soccer stadium in pretty record time. And I, I think they, uh, you know, they might not have been whipping them and, and all that stuff. But I, but I, I, th- I think, you know, this whole show's about what, o- what's old is new again. I mean, isn't that how that fucking stupid soccer stadium was built? A bunch of really smart guys and a bunch of really cheap labor and they, they got it done. Pretty much. Okay. Uh, and I, and I, real quick, I do want to interject. I don't think Tut's wife is an alien either. I don't think she is either. Uh, I think if we're, if we need to be looking at anybody, it's the edge. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you think he never takes that ski cap off? Something's going on under there. Horn. There's like a little, lips little up and it's all of a sudden he's there. Roger Smith from American Dad. He's just got the big gray head. Yeah. Just a, just a big head, a big alien head or is an exposed alien brain or something's going on up there. 
So I'll just, I'll leave it with this because I, I certainly, I'm, I'm glad I, I'm, I wasn't sure what people would think. I'm really glad that, uh, everybody had some, some pretty strong opinions on it. And I'm, I, that's really cool. And this, this, uh, I was hoping that, I was hoping Cade would include this topic and I'm glad that everybody really had some, some feelings on it. Um, the last thing I don't want to monopolize our show with it because I know there's other stuff to talk about, but, um, real quick, I have always believed that Roswell was not an alien cover up that it's immediately after World War II and the United States Air Force was doing some sort of top secret testing out there and it went a little bit awry. They were trying to launch some sort of aircraft and something got fucked up and it crashed and some people saw some weird things, but it was totally on the level as far as wasn't on the level as far as honesty, but it wasn't, it didn't have anything to do with extraterrestrials, I guess. And you guys have kind of answered this question with your talk about what human beings could do over time. Uh, so last question, and then uh, I'll turn it back over to Kay to move us on, but um, crop circles. Uh, do you think that's something that these things that just these intricate, large designs that appear to be giving some sign up towards the sky it seems really difficult that some some people could that quickly make those things that way where the stalks are not broken but just bent. Does anybody have a crop circle theory? I'm going to bow out of There's, this one. I, I do not. I always assumed we, we've uh, – we, well, obviously I have my suspicions about the edge. Um, and if you look at some early 1900 photographs of Stonehenge, there's a dude hanging around that looks a lot like the edge. He just took that beanie <laughs> off and he, that, that made the, the stalks go the way they, I, as, good I, as, I, any, Kate, as good a theory as any. We, we've hung out on our Tuesday night cigar club travels. We've hung out at enough farms and shared uh, some drinks with enough farmers to, they're quirky characters and it's a pretty monotonous, monotonous, uh, thing. I, I always assumed it was just the result of some bored farmers who, you know, just wanted to spice things up and, uh, just, just for fun. Uh, I, I honestly, I've never really, I've never really given it much thought. What about you, Tut? I, I don't know, to be honest. Uh, it's one of those things to where I I don't have uh, an explanation for it. So when I don't have an explanation for it, I'm like, anything can happen. Uh, so sure. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I just think it's really weird to be that precise geometric. And if you're an alien, I mean, that's what you want to do. You want to, you want to come to come to the world and, Bend over some wheat fields into a pattern. Wasn't okay. the, you know, the, maybe they're, maybe they're drunk. Cause you know, we always blame it on the drunk farmer who's got nothing to do. Maybe they're <laughs> drunk and they're like, this will really fuck them up. And, uh, and I'm, I'm actually open to that. I mean, cause I, I, I just don't know. I think that they are, I try to be empirical and scientific, <laughs> but at the same time, I understand it's a really weird world and there's things that out there that we don't know. Like I believe in, I believe in ghosts. I mean, so don't. I mean, All of I a know. sudden liking the Tuesday Night Cigar Club is now going to produce a new show. Fuck ancient aliens. 
drunk aliens. <laughs> well, like I, this, I, I, and they are the little humanoid Roger Smith guys, and they're just pounding it down. Going, this is, we're just well, going to put this shit in here. They're well, going to no, spend I, decades trying to figure it out. Let's get to me, here. that, to me that makes way more sense. I'm picturing a little E.T. guy who's lost and confused, and he wants to get home, and he runs in to Bill Gould, and he's like, dude, you know what will help you get home? Rock ya. <laughs> they do a couple shots, put E.T. on a tractor, and boom, there you go. Dude, on Ancient Aliens, there's so many times where they ask the question that like the narrator's like, could this be the result of, of extraterrestrials? Ancient alien theorists say yes. On our show, it's going to be, could this be the result? Drunk alien theorists say yes. <laughs> All right, yaks, crop circles, real quick. You got a, You got an opinion on it? And, and I don't know there's a legitimate answer to any of these questions. Some of the things that they say about, like, the, the, the formation of it, I'm like, yeah, that does draw up a question because I was like, I'd like to know how. Uh-oh, did we lose oh. <laughs> we the aliens him. got him. See? The edge got him. <laughs> oh, there he is. Wait. See, I knew it. I knew that. I got I got told you that bad weather was gonna get me. No, it's the government. They want, they want to silence you. They're onto us. They, they're listening. They're shutting down the axis transmission. <laughs> no, I was saying the 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 formation of the circles, the way they say that you know, the things that are happening in the fields. Yeah, it, it does raise like some very, you know, interesting questions. Do I think all of them are that way? No, I was think someone who did that, you know, they they came up with a really good way to to get out there and do it quickly. However, it is because you know they show these guys. I mean, and they like this is how they did it, you know, and and it's always the way they, you know, you see a lot of these, you know how they explain like a lot of the, the, those ancient structures, they did it like this was well, like, well, you, okay, you say that's how they did it, but I still don't see you actually doing it. You yeah. showed me they here, you should, uh, and this in the, this 10 foot circle, see, it, it looks just like it. Well, that's a 10 foot circle. You just said this thing is like a hundred something foot wide circle and it was made overnight. Well, how long would that take to do that? I mean, would it be one person, ten people? How many people are there? Drunk dudes, and give me four of those new millennials with the big wings, and we get this thing done. (laughs) All right, so here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna contact the History Channel and see if I can copyright drunk aliens. Tut, I'm gonna need you to go ahead and push that hair up and change your last name to Sukalos. You'll be on every show. Oh, we got it. We got it. I will say, you know who's not happy about crop circles? Who's that? He who walks behind the rose. Yeah. Well, typically it happens in a wheat field, doesn't it? Not a cornfield. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, look at uh, look or at. Is it, uh, is it he who walks behind the rose responsible because he hates wheat fields because he can't walk behind them? Yeah, look at. I didn't even think trying. about that. So, look, so the look. drunk aliens only hit the wheat fields because they know there's something in the cornfield. Oh, they need barley to make their more stuff to drink. <laughs> oh. Do you think that, do you think that's where that Oberon wheat ale comes from? It could be. All I know is I stopped drinking that around the same time that balloon appeared in the sky. 
I'm actually glad you brought up the balloon doctor because uh, coincidentally, my my youngest daughter, her birthday is coming up next month, and we're you got to plan these parties pretty far in advance, and we're getting everything together, and we were informed uh, by one by one of the party places that even though it's on the list of things provided for the parties, uh, they could no longer do balloon animals for the kids. Uh, Apparently the uh, rising cost of inflation has taken its toll. Mm. Wait, why, why would, even if it was inflation, wouldn't you just raise the price of doing balloon animals? That's a that's a great way to deflate the conversation. Uh, hey, I said, hey, I'll just bring a box of condoms. You can use those, and so they're going to make a bunch of Trojan horses. Thank you, everyone, for your participation in the topic. Uh, Doctor, do you know what kind of music balloons hate? Pop music. Uh, uh, <laughs> Oh. But they're a big fan of air supply. Uh, hey, unlike that Chinese uh, spy balloon, you guys shot down that joke immediately. <laughs> I'm going to uh, need an official hazy IPA. Uh, well, Yaks, uh, the, this whole subject matter, ancient symbols and, and whatnot, it, it sort of loosely ties into a book that you are currently reading, doesn't it? The Secret Teaching of All Ages by, what's the guy's name? Manly P. Hall? Manly P. Hall. Hey, that P doesn't stand for penis. That P doesn't stand for penis, does it? Well, with a name like Manly, of course it does. Manly P. Does this guy have a big penis? What year was he born? Is he under 30? Uh, the book was written in 29. Oh, okay. He's got a little 1929. bit. All right. So, I, I only read books written by guys. With well, books. I mean, like in connection, like, cause of the, the ancient aliens. So that book is more, is like a, is more like an encyclopedia of like the very, of like, you know, it's like the occult. Theology, theories, uh, uh, secret societies. I mean, and it's more just, it's more like a fact book, like just listing out like, Hey, these are the Freemasons. This is the, you know, what people called the Illuminati stuff like that. But it's also talking about the symbolism behind a lot of things, various, uh, uh, similarities between, you know, whether it's religious, societal, you know, But I mean, it, it, it's still in that thing. I mean, a lot of the people, you know, that you see in the, the, the previous things like ancient aliens or any of those other things, they draw a, like, you know, this, this guy listed out a lot of that. I mean, it's the book itself is older than it, you know, what people are doing now. But I mean, it, a lot of the basis of what people draw from is from works like this. So the, the guy's actually very well renowned. He has his own library in California. Uh, it's a, one of those, uh, collects, uh, you know, the esoteric place, uh, all the old ancient books, all of that. But it's not like, oh, come visit our cult. It's just, it is a library. Okay. Yeah. It's just old, old books with Johnny Depp walking around in there looking for the ninth sign. Yes. With the ninth yeah. gate. Uh, yeah. And I was just joking about I only read books by guys written by guys with small dicks. I, I don't read books. 
And I can't believe I forgot to mention this earlier, I guess, because I know Yaks and, and the doctor have known me forever. But Tut, uh, you may not have known this, that right after high school, I briefly worked for a hot air balloon company. Did you know that? I did not. Yeah. It was all right. It had its ups and downs. So, uh, shifting, shifting gears a little bit, uh, when I went over to Yak Boy's house the other day to deliver some show cigars, uh, he had, uh, you'll like this, he had Magnum PI, uh, paused on his TV, the, the old original one, not the, the new version on, on CBS. Um, and it was funny. I was like, oh, you're watching Magnum. And you said something, Yak, that really, I, as I was driving home, I, I, I really, really thought hard about what you said. I laughed when you said it, but then I started really digging into it. He basically said, as kids growing up in the eighties, watching TV, you would think that the most popular profession in America was a private detective. (laughs) Well, I did. I mean, honestly, after all of the television shows, the eighties, I thought I would be utilizing the skills of a private detective Ooh, a lot be, more than I really ended up, which has I been thought me, I, never. <laughs> I thought I would be one, but like Yak says, it seemed like watching Magnum, Simon and Simon, Riptide, Spencer for Hire, Heart to Heart, my personal favorite, Mike Hammer. Uh, Remington just, Steel. Remington Steel with uh, Pierce Brosnan. I just assumed either you were a detective when you grew up or you would require the services frequently of a detective. Have you guys, <laughs> have you guys ever had, Met either met a private eye or enlisted the services of a private eye. Have you no. even have you even ever been walking around and seen an office for a private eye? No, but there was a billboard between Temple oh, she, and Austin. Oh, no, she spies. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, there is actually in my little village there is a woman who owns a private investigation firm. She's been featured in our our little village magazine before. But it, it is so, you know, it's for divorces and, you know, if you, if you want to, uh, see, see if your man's up to no good, I think, hence the name she spies. Um, but yeah. And then, dude, remember, I forgot about this one. Remember Matt Houston? Oh, yes. Lee Horsley. Horsley. Oh, it man. It goes back to like Chinatown too, right? I mean, we're, we're Jack yeah. Nicholson's character is supposed to be in the 1930s, but. Uh, the superior piece film, obviously, but even then he's, uh, and, and the, the Humphrey Bogart films, um, yeah, all the film noir, all the film noirs with the, with the old private dicks and, uh, hey, speaking of dicks, oh God, dude. Pamela, Pamela Hens, Pamela Hensley played CJ, Matt Houston's assistant. Do you remember her? If they ever need to yeah, stretch, my, if they ever need to stretch my pe get my penis to stretch out in my checkup. Put on a Matt Houston rerun. There you go. <laughs> hubba hubba. Uh, I believe she was also on a Buck Rogers once that, uh, has burned yes, into my yes. memory. Any, anywho, um, so I was thinking about Magnum and then I was thinking about its new version that's been running for a few seasons, actually. Yeah. Yeah. And then I was watching TV the next night and they ran commercials for an, the NBC, like Tuesday night lineup. An all new quantum leap followed by an all new night court. And I'm like, holy shit. Every, what's old is new again. Everything from our childhood 
has been regurgitated and re resurrected. And I mean, you've got a new equalizer. You've got a new wonder years, a new Roseanne without Roseanne. Uh, if you can name it from our childhoods, it's either back in production or somebody's trying to actively bring it back. And then I'm thinking about all this. And then Yak Boy mentions, uh, had mentioned the other day that Netflix has two new competing. I don't know if it's competing or side by side, uh, He-Man animated cartoons on Netflix. Yeah. And. All this nostalgia, uh, re with new life breathed into it and whatnot. I, for some reason, gravitated towards the He-Man aspect. And I was like, you know what? That was a big toy line for me growing up. Big part of my early, you know, formative years, five to seven. Um, Gax, could you explain a little bit? There's just not, there's not just one new He-Man cartoon. There's two. And you well, said technically, that- they're—I mean—they've got right now three oh, separate. So two He-Man, one She-Ra. All right, forget She-Ra. Let's take She-Ra out of the equation. No She-Ra. Tell us a little <clears throat> bit about the two. He- why we need two He-Man series? What's different about the two? What's different about the creative approach? Are any of them as uh, lighthearted and goofy and? Uh, Awesome as the one we watched growing up, or are they all dark? Nothing and- will ever be as awesome as that. Yeah. And it, because of, but the new one, of course, is all CGI animation. Um, but it is geared towards. So, okay, basically, separate. It's just He Man and the Masters of the Universe. And then it's He Man, and then it's Masters of the Universe Revelation. Okay. So the first one just, which is basically titled as the, as the original cart, uh, 82 cartoon, uh, or excuse me, 83 cartoon is geared towards kids. It's, it's new. It's CGI animation. The characters are redrawn differently. Um, but it's, it still has that campiness to it. Uh, it's, it is geared towards selling toys. Which, of course, that was the whole point of the original. Right. And so, like, every, you know, when you're watching this and you're looking at them and they've got their ship or whatever machine, or you, you're like, uh, and you go and look online, you're like, oh, I can buy that. Absolutely great. But it's, and like I said, it's just fun. It's, it's, it's made for, it's made for kids, but I mean, it's still enjoyable enough, you know, that, you know, even as an adult, you can take something away from it. It's not okay. entirely just, it's not vapid. He-Man Revelation sounds a little darker. So that one actually was spearheaded by Kevin Smith. Okay. No shit. He was, he was the head writer for that. So that one actually, what it does is it takes the original cartoon, even with all of its, you know, it wasn't really like it, had, it was a story arc. Originally it was just episodic. But there was kind of, you know, things did happen to the characters over time in the, in that original series. He then took that with some other guys and, and they basically made this, this short series of what life was like or what happened to things after, you know, like a certain point, like the, you know, uh, after, after the, after the original 83 series ended. Yes. Oh. 
Because, like, you know, there, you know, there was that. Was it, who was asking for that? Well, I, I, what, whatever happened to Orko after? Like, you, wait, do either of these shows feature Orko? Yes. Okay. Okay. Well, so like in the in the kids version of this, Orko, what happens is, is that they basically, like I said, they they update and change things. So now Orko is a mat is like a robot that remembers the original Orko. Oh, that's the. Oh, no. But somehow the it the the it is this whole little story arc of how the robot Orko is also learns how to because it is his memories. He learned really relearns how to do his magic, which gives him the goofiness that the original Orko had about not being able to cast a correct spell. So that's how they updated it. Sounds lamo. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, just I, just thought, I just thought Orko had angled for early. What did we learn today? Cigar Club. Well. He couldn't do spells because he was shit based. <laughs> did, are, are, do you did you finish them? Did you, are these series that you enjoyed, Yex? Yeah, they, 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 they finished up, uh, the, the kids one, I think, I think they're going to do a second or it's, I think on its third season. So I think they're going to do a, a fourth season, but the, the, the revelations one is done. It was kind of just a, a one and done series. Oh, okay. Okay. Have any of y'all seen the 1987 Masters of the Universe film starring Dolph Lundgren as He-Man and, the incredibly sexy and sultry Meg Foster as Evil Lynn. I have multiple times. As a big He-Man kid, I actually watched it for the first time this week. I assumed I had seen it and I would watch it and it would bring back stuff. No, I'd never seen that thing. <laughs> I, I I would have remembered. I would have remembered. I remember. Oh, I've seen that film. Uh, yeah. If it's I, I, once or twice it. tops. That was it really. I've seen that thing literally probably like more than 50 times. I have oh, watched. it used to come, it used to come on like USA, like Saturday afternoon, like every other week. Well, it's just so weird that a toy brand that I was obsessed with as a, a young boy, I'd never seen the movie before. And I guess it's because it was released later on uh, at the tail end of the toys popularity is kind of a last ditch effort to, to, get people excited about the the brand again. And I guess at that point in time, 87, I had moved on to GI Joe toys. The, yeah, well, you, was, you grew up. I mean, yeah, well, yeah, I mean, that's what I'm saying. Older. I had moved on to GI Joe and I had moved on to hiding penthouse magazines out in the woods. Those were my, that's what I had going on. Uh, talk about some penis stretching going on too. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Don't go in the woods. Um, nope. Nope. <laughs> I'm not going to invite any of you guys out to the woods with me. Don't worry. That was not the basis of the nope movie. <laughs> <laughs> but just as scary. Although I will say those woods now are a subdivision in our old hometown. And every once in a while I drive by and I'll look at the house where I think they were buried under. And I, I like wonder if they have any poltergeist like horny poltergeist type shit happened. Uh, do you think they'd let me into their house to like, nah, probably that, that'd probably end badly. Wouldn't it? Yeah. For some reason I, I imagine Cade walking in more like the well of souls. He's like, I know it's under this house places, the staff, <laughs> little light things just starts digging. I must recover it. I, uh, 
I'm old now. I can buy, I can buy new penthouse magazines. Maybe I will tomorrow. I don't, you want to do? I don't know where I'd go. Where do you buy penthouse mag? Where do you buy adult magazines? Online. They don't exist anymore. There are no more magazines. Do they have them at Barnes and Noble? Yeah. No. Interesting. Okay. Really? They don't even, you know, they don't have nudie books and, uh, and the play, they have a Playboy still? Is Playboy still published? Nope. Really? It's all gone. Man. Jugs? I, I, I was never a viewer of that publication. Jugs and Ammo? Yaks, you buried your Jugs magazines about 10 yards south of where I was burying my penthouse magazines. We'd run into each other uh, once in a while and just turn and ride our bikes off in different directions. Great. Now I got to go get my staff out. <laughs> uh, well, the movie, the movie's a weird flick. Uh, they, they did this weird concept where they brought He-Man and Skeletor through a portal to Earth to battle it out. And they couldn't afford Orko because that would require a flying wizard and they couldn't do that. So they got this little elf, this little midget, uh, elf, Gwindle, the... Wildor. Wildor, the... Oh, excuse me. Wildor. The only real uh characters they brought over were Man at Arms, who just a guy in a mustache, and Beast Man, who looked nothing like the Beast Man from the from the toys. But it was weird. They brought it they bat they're battling it out on Earth with these huge Skeletor's army and all this laser gun battles in the middle of this downtown uh city, and there's no people. Like there's no shot of like people looking out their windows at He-Man flying yeah. around on the thing. There's no like they made a conscious decision like all right if we if we it'd be too too much trouble to bring in like spectators and a human element to this. And it's like well dude if you're gonna bring them to Earth you gotta have Earthlings. All they had was Courtney Cox and her goofy teenage boyfriend uh running around. It was oh it was terrible. It, it was just. It was kind of doctor. It kind of remind me of uh Friday the Thirteenth Part Eight. Jason goes to Manhattan, or Jason takes Manhattan. Like that though. No, I like the film, but it's like the whole marketing was Jason's going to the Big Apple, but then he's only there for like fifteen minutes, and boom, it's that. It's like that was it. Like, yeah. As like they realized, just, they realized they had no money, so they just got a shot of Kane Hodder while walking through Times Square. Yeah. And the rest of it. Uber. And also it was a very fine final. It, they didn't have an origin story and they just jumped right into it. And then there was a final battle between Skeletor and, and He-Man. It, it played more like Return of the Jedi or like a part three of something that there was no parts one and two. It was just a very odd. Well, you know, I mean, at the very beginning of the movie, they give you the little scroll of like, you know, this is what's happening, blah, blah, blah. And then right into it. But I was always like, I mean, I liked it. it. You know, it was one of those things like you had the animated version, but to actually see something live action was still pretty cool. I'm just but once again, it was kind of like, you know, you took these this toy property and then, of course, you hand it off to the guys in Hollywood who have absolutely no fucking idea. I mean, this is the 80s. So I'm imagining when they were like getting pitched this thing, these guys were just like and drunk, was- high on cocaine and like, we can totally make a movie out of it. Well, it was, it was produced by the Canon group who was, you know, known for making Charles Bronson, Chuck Norris. Hey, they produced our last movie, The Barbarians. So that tells you something. Oh, yes. 
as far as their understanding of fantasy and, and sci-fi. Uh, well, I could have had the four of us watch that Canon group produced celluloid turd, or I could go in a different direction from what we usually do around here. And that's what I chose to do. So tonight we will end things not by talking about a film and taking you through a film, but we're going to discuss an episode of the Netflix series, The Toys That Made Us. Uh, and this episode is centered around the creation of the iconic He-Man franchise. Uh, I think that's all in our wheelhouse. And when I watched that episode, it, it gave me some feels um, from a childhood. And I was like, you know what? Doctor wants to talk about crop circles with you guys. I want to talk about He-Man with you guys. There's nothing weird about that. Before we begin, though, guys, I'm in my final third of the cigar. I, uh, Tut, I, a little past the halfway point, I did get your mineral mm-hmm. on the draw, that Nicaraguan mineral commingling with the, the hickory and that, I don't know if you guys ever got that bold kind of black French roast coffee yeah, that yeah. I, I, I got. Did. That, yes. I did. Um, so, so the mineral was a nice little addition there around the 50 yard line. Uh, I kind of wish that the, the pepper had ramped up more. I'm getting a lot more pepper. Are you, where are you at? I'm getting, I'm getting more pepper on the retro hill. Where are you guys at in your cigars? I'm in that last third. You guys are right there. It's, it's really, it's, I mean, that pepper is really picked up. It's there. I guess maybe let me give it a little more time. I, uh, I mean, I'm not, and I'm not, and I won't even say that it's really just on the retro hill. I'm getting just that little, you know, right there in the back. Yeah. Just okay. a constant. Yeah. Um, well, not the most complex cigar. Uh, I mean, we've gotten some kind of core flavors that have stuck around. We've got a, a little fleeting mineral note, uh, coming in later and the, the pepper ebbs and flows. But, uh, what do you guys think? Are you enjoying it? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, you say, you say not the most complex good cigars. It's almost derogatory. I, I like it. Uh, I, I like the flavors that's going through. I like that that pepper on the retro hail is you know giving me. Well, a you can you can like a cigar's you can like a cigar's um, profile without it being complex. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't know. I guess I always hear like in the shops, so it's not very complex. It's just blah blah blah. It's a one note deal. Is, are you doing, just like, you just do an impression of me? <laughs> no. Oh, okay. No, that sounded way too hoity-toity for you. Oh, okay. um, uh, no, I just I, I like it. I, I'm I'm impressed with it. Act to be honest, uh, I wasn't expecting a lot, uh, and it gave me way more than not a lot. Okay, well then let's uh, while we're on that note, let's talk price point. What would you pay for this tut and feel good about it? Or let me change that. What would you think? What do you think they're charging for it, and would you pay for it? Eight ninety nine, I have no problem paying for. Ten ninety nine is the max, and they're probably going ten ninety nine. Ten ninety nine, yeah, boy. I was gonna say like nine fifty. Nine fifty, huh? For a General Cigar Company Robusto. Okay. Uh, Tut, you were close. Eight forty nine. Got no problem doing that. No problem. I'm going to disagree with you here. I, I, I can get a lot. There's a lot of cigars out there that just for me and my profile, what I enjoy, I, I could get, um, something I, I would spend my money elsewhere. I, I just, 
you know, the woodsy and the, the woodsy and the coffee and the pepper. It's, it's, I, I'm not minding smoking it, but it's not, I'm not going to run out and try to track this one down again anytime soon. <laughs> You're looking at me like that. I just, it's, I, it's mean, kind of bo- I think it's kind of boring. I think it's kind of a boring cigar. I disagree with you on that. And then especially at that price point, I think it's an excellent buy. I, I, I think that there's there are far more times where I'm paying in the $13 mark for stuff that's about like this. And that's that's all these little boutique, st- boutique uh, cigars. To be honest, the moment you said general, my mind went to, oh, yeah, all right, well, yeah. it, it's go- it's going to be what it's going to be. And the cigar delivered way more than that. I, I, I would, I have no problem putting this in, uh, okay. in line with some of my boutique cigars. Well, there you go. Okay. That's okay. We're allowed to disagree. Oh. I mean, you're wrong, but okay. You're wrong. <laughs> you're wrong. Yax, would you go out and buy the cigar? You know what? Yes, aliens, I would. Drunk aliens came down and. <laughs> Gave Booth the inspiration for this. Drunk alien theorist Jason Sukalos. Su- <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, it gets. Now get a load of this. Tut, it's time to put your money where your mouth is. Get this. Uh, well, these cigars were uh, graciously submitted to us uh, by General Cigar Company, or I'm sorry, their subsidy, Forge Cigar Company. Uh, right now, if you go to famoussmokeshop.com, and grab a box. They're on sale 20% off. And then on top of that, you can use promo code TNCC20 to get an additional $20 off. What? You can get a box of these tut for $115, bringing the price down to $580 a stick. So if you like it so much. Dude, how can he not do that? I bet you won't. Well, I just blew my cigar money this month on, uh, our friends at Drew Estate. Wait, nobody's going to shame you for that. No. Uh, give me some more of those M81s next time you're on about, will you? Right, I'll, I'll see what I can do. I mean, I don't know because obviously you don't really appreciate a fine cigar. Man, okay, you really like this one. That, well, that's cool. That's good. We haven't disagreed on a cigar in quite some time, especially one that we got the exact same experience from. Yeah, that's that's really odd, actually. You know, it's just not. It's just not. Uh, it's just not stretching my dick tonight, and that's okay. Uh, but uh, yeah, and actually, I have one more. I, I will, I will, I will smoke it on a, a different night with an open mind, and we'll see how it. I'll let you know if my opinion changes. How's that, buddy? Well, you know what you you were saying. I think this was like months ago where you were saying like you you felt like your palate was shifting. And you're going more towards like you're you're really exploring a lot of Connecticut shade that kind of that kind of cigars. So right. yeah, I mean I I can I can definitely because because to me this is the kind of cigar that you were first introducing me to when I started exploring Nicaragua. Yeah. And uh, so yeah, I mean I can I can understand like I mean if your palate if you're looking at if you're at a time where you're trying to explore some other type of stuff, yeah, I can see that. But on that note, I still smoke a shitload of dark, oily, strong cigars that I like better than this one. So All that oily shit. <laughs> oh, and as far as why I chose the cigar tonight, a uh, quick production note, 
If you remember way back in early 2021 on episode 134, I made my one and only pairing error in the entire eight-year history of the Tuesday Night Cigar Club. We were discussing the classic Powers Booth film, Southern Comfort, Mm. and I selected the Say When Double IPA from Saloon Door Brewing as my beverage for the night. Wrongfully misremembering, I thought that that was a line that Powers Booth said in Tombstone, Say When. And actually, it was Michael Bean's Johnny Ringo that said the line. And I was, I was ashamed. I was embarrassed. I swore to myself I would never make that kind of mistake again until tonight. I selected the Los Status cigar to pair with our He-Man discussion. I actually thought the cigar was called Los Stratos. And I remembered from He-Man, remember Stratos, the bird man? He had the wings. There was, I was like, oh shit, it's a cigar that it's named after a He-Man character. And then I get it out of the thing and I'm like, Hey, they forgot to put the R on there. Oh, it's, <laughs> it's low status. Sounds Bong. to me, my friend, like everyone's got an Oberon weed ale in their pocket somewhere. <laughs> but you know what? I do remember Tut when this cigar was announced, you called me, you heard about it because Matt Booth was involved and you were super excited about it. And you, you told me Los Stratos with a hard R is coming to stores and keep my eyes out for Los Stratos. So really, if I don't remember that at you all, planted, you planted that seed in my head. So if you want to take a minute and apologize to our loyal listeners, the floor is again, yours. the drunk alien said, Oh, we're going to fuck with them. This is how it's going to go. Uh, so the cigar is Los Stratos. The He-Man character is Stratos. Um, could, could we just keep calling it Los Stratos? Because I mean, that's... I think Los Stratos is a better name for a cigar, honestly. Uh, but anyway, uh, speaking of He-Man, dude, Matt Booth is going to whip you with that jewel encrusted dildo for saying that. I'm just, just giving you a warning. Man, if only I, if only Have I was. Have you seen the size of that thing? That size is like a 20 year old's dog. <laughs> if only I was born in the last two decades, I might have a fighting chance. I'm just ordering <laughs> man action figures off of Amazon. <laughs> they'll, cost you, they'll cost you 90 bucks a pop now. Have battles. Yeah, Orco. I was going to get an Orco and it's like 40 bucks. Better just get two of those. I, uh... <laughs> <laughs> the Toys That Made Us is a series on uh 2017 star. There's three seasons of it on Netflix. Each episode digs into a different classic toy line, whether it be Barbie, uh Legos, um G.I. Joe. Star Wars, G.I. Star Joe, Wars. Transformers. You you name it, these guys cover it. And I I don't know why. I, I'm not really big on that kind of nostalgic documentary type stuff. Uh, I knew this show existed, but I never had kind of an inkling to, to watch yeah, it until, same. until, uh, we, I had He-Man on my brain. And so I went for it. Uh, this installment, each episode's about under an hour, about 45 minutes or so. Yeah. This installment is directed by Tom Stern. It's the third episode of season one on Netflix. And it does a really good job of documenting the backstory of how He-Man came to be, the personalities involved in the toy lines creation and everything that would spring forth kind of from their combined efforts. Uh, before we talk a little bit about the show, let's just get it out there, guys. Who's your favorite He-Man figure growing up? Can I guess first? Okay. Sure. Go right ahead. Tut. 
well, we've been talking a lot about Orko, but I'm going to go Merman. No. Was it Orko? No. I think you mentioned something about Fisto to me many years ago, but I think that no, was about, I did not. that was about something no, I did else. Not. No. Uh, all right, Fisto. Final answer. No. There was no Fisto. Yeah, there was. Yeah, there was. There was Fisto. Yeah. It, was, it was just a white, a big muscle white dude with a giant fist. <laughs> God. Fist really hard. Fisting as hard as he can. It fist you uh, real. No, <laughs> fist you real between, good. Toss up between um, Man of War and uh, Man at Arms. Skeletor, yeah, Man at Arms and Skeletor with the uh, action plate. And okay. because of the action plate, I'm giving it to Skeletor. Uh, Doctor, man, I, I want to go Merman with you too, but I'm not going to. I'm going to go Trapjaw. No, um, and I, I, I don't want to get ahead of it. I did not remember all of those extra characters. As, as one of the guys in the documentary referred to them as the tertiary characters, I didn't remember any of them. Oh, I remembered them all. I had, I had, I had a Castle Grayskull, and I had He Man and Man at Arms. And I had Skeletor and Beastman. I had the original group. So I remember really being excited about being able to get the Orko action figure for some reason. I don't know why, but so I would go with a tie between the original Skeletor and Orko. But yeah, yeah. I didn't even remember all those other ones that came afterwards. Uh, Yaks, I'm going to guess, I'm going to go straight up Beastman. Whilst I am a fan of Beastman, yes. Yes, indeed, a fan of Beastman. Not my favorite. I did have the Beastman. I liked, for whatever reason, I liked Manny Faces. I liked his little thing. He turned, his little face changed. Hey, he's he's one of my favorites. I couldn't couldn't decide between Manny Faces or, remember, Faker, the blue He-Man? Oh, Yes. They basically just painted He-Man blue and called him Faker. He was a fake He-Man. Well, what I love is that they gave the, then they put the orange Skeletor armor. You're like, we need to take Skeletor's armor, make it orange, put it on it. Perfect. No one, no one will question it. Uh, also add two dollars to the price. <laughs> yeah, I played, I played with that Faker guy a, a hell of a lot. Uh, what's that say about me? I preferred Faker He-Man to the real He-Man. That tracks. What I've always been saying. You're a phony. You're a phony. I'm an asshole. Uh, okay. Well, so we, when we begin our story, Star Wars made by the little Kenner toy company in Cincinnati, Ohio, which would later be bought out by Hasbro, which would continue Star Wars forever. They were ruling the action figure game in 1982. And what was an ironic twist, a former, uh, the president of Kenner used to work for Mattel and he's the one who scooped up the rights, uh, kind of throwing some shade at his old employer. Um, so after some commercial duds, uh, as far as Mattel goes with their clash of the Titans toy line and their flash Gordon lines, I had, I had some of those clash of the Titan action figures. I had some of the, yeah, yeah. I, had Perseus. I, I got had him out of the JC Penny Christmas toy catalog. 
And I mean, you just study that every year and just uh, hope to God you you got what you circled. And I had the I had the Pegasus horse, and I did not have the giant kraken, but I had a was it Karan the boatman? Oh, uh, uh, Charon. Charon. Okay, I couldn't remember. It was a hard C or not? Uh, Charon the boat, a skeleton boatman. I had him and Perseus and the Pegasus horse. Speaking of a hard C, if I could go back to that Stanford study for a minute. Oh, oh no, no, sorry. Please. Sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> um, but they, they were coming up with nothing. And like I said, to add to that, those failures, there was still that lingering bitterness that they'd lost out on the Star Wars franchise. Mattel Toys, their main focus had always been Barbie and Hot Wheels. Those were their bread and butter and they needed, they decided they needed something really unique, something from scratch to compete in the boys action figure market. And that's what I don't know if they could do that today. As we were watching this thing, they're showing these people's job titles from the eighties and they actually had like VP of boys toys. And, uh, you know, like they had women in the, the girls toys department, you know, the director of development for girls toys. And I don't, you probably, yeah. couldn't, do, probably couldn't do that anymore. I don't think so. Not 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 to be that that oriented open, open by gender. It. I mean, like you know, only women were in the the women's tour, the girls' toys. I thought that was yeah, that's crazy. Um, so they decided they need- 40 some years ago. It wasn't crazy. Yeah, uh, but they they decided they needed a True. something not based off any existing intellectual property. We got we got to come out with a home run on our own. So they did some market research. You know how hard that is, by the way. I mean, just to just to come up with a new concept and a new product line, just out of thin air. Yeah, Yeah. I I think I. I, But that's what I love about the show is I think you really get a good idea of how hard it is. Um, I thought you say you know how hard it is to be the VP of Boys Toys. (laughs) uh so they did all this market research and they basically took a ton of five-year-old boys and just studied them playing with their action figures and what they found was after a day of being bossed around by their moms and bossed around by their teachers they like to come home grab their action figures and boss them around (laughs) and tell them what to do and they kept going back to these kids always said, you know, do this, do that. I have the power. They wanted power for the first time in their their day. They wanted the power over the situation and they got that with their toys. So these smart guys in marketing are like, all right, these young boys like power. Let's go from there. That sparked the crucial idea. Then they showed the tykes pictures of policemen, soldiers, space dudes, Asking what the boys would most like to be when they grow up. What do they, which one of these excite the most? And the consensus was a Frank Frazetta style bar, uh, barbarian. Uh, Who doesn't it, like it was, that? No, they, they were actually showing them the picture of Frank Frazetta's, which is titled The Barbarian. Like, yeah, it's, it's basically uh, Conan with about 150 more pounds of muscle slapped on him. And they wanted to be that barbaric badass. So the team decided at the urging of lead designer uh, Roger Sweet to make a huge muscle-bound figure that would tower over all the other action figures on the toy store shelves. 
Roger took one of Mattel's old, they had an old line called Big Jim figures. And they, he took a big gym and just started adding clay muscles. And when he thought he had too much, he added some more clay muscles. And this thing just got bigger and bigger. It had more muscles on top of it than I did back at uh, Miami South South Beach back in 1997. But that's a different story. Uh, where was I? In Fairyland. I wish. Hey. <laughs> It's South Beach. Just call it that. <laughs> uh, no, speaking of the defunct Big Jim line, there's a cool story also how they were running low on production funds. So Mattel turned Big Jim's giant tiger because they didn't have the production equipment to make uh, something for He-Man to ride around on. Like a spaceship or something. It yeah. would take too much time. So Big Jim, their only other big figure, uh, he had a tiger that he kept caged up. So they're like, fuck it, just paint it green, put some stripes and a saddle on it, and there you go. Like, none of these guys are bashful about repurposing old shit from their company and also taking toys from other companies, at least for demonstration purposes. One of the first He-Man figures was this guy, Bullethead, and basically it was just this big muscle dude with a Boba Fett helmet on him that they spray painted uh, to look a little different. So that was kind of a cool look into yeah. that world. It's like, we don't have time to carve a figure from scratch. Just go get, go get that old GI Joe figure and let's just steal his clothes. And like, I don't know. It was cool. I liked, I liked that whole kind of inside baseball part of the, the toy making process. Yeah, it was really, it was really interesting. Well, uh, I really like, no, what I really liked is that you figure out is like this, all these beloved memories were from a, some guys who literally just said, fuck it, do this. We need yeah, something. I don't know. Fuck with hit, hit it with no, the hammer. It was the basically put up. audience was five-year-olds. And, and so that's what it wasn't. You didn't have to reinvent the wheel, so to speak. They were like, okay, everybody's buying Star Wars toys. Star Wars are badass. That's what the kids are buying. They even said, it's like, they weren't looking at a nine, ten-year-old audience. Which, when I first watched it, uh, I spoke about it with Kate. It reminded me how, by that point, I'm still a little fucking boy. By the time I was 9, 10, 11, I was really more into G.I. Joe's. He-Man was a 6, 7, 8-year-old time period. Then I was on to other toys. I was still playing with action figures, but other toys. So that that's what they were looking at was, like Kate said, the, the real small boys, the 6, 7-year-old boys. So... And well, you know, their parents aren't going to say to them, oh, wait, that's Boba Fett's helmet or whatever. They're, I mean, if the boy is pulling on his mom, I want He-Man, I want He-Man, that's what they're going to get. Yeah, and to be fair, I think they, they did scrap the bullet head thing before. That never they made did. that never made it into well, production. Bullet head, well, no, bullet head morphed into Ram Man. Oh, is that? Okay, that makes sense. Because uh, if you look at Ram Man, he still has the little, it, you know, that the Roman style little thing around his face. Okay. So they just, they pared it down. I mean. Okay. And, and in the, in the full disclosure of honesty, doctor, yes, by then you hadn't moved into GI Joe's, but you were also hanging out with me in the woods quite a lot back in that, back in that time period. What, what is, what does that exactly have to do with anything? Well, we're just hanging out in the woods a lot when we were kids riding bikes. We did. We, yeah, we did that. You know, we, we, we made our own adventures. 
<laughs> we sure did. We sure did. Uh, so the rough concept of He-Man was, uh, then taken to an artist at Mattel named Mark Taylor. I want to party with this guy. Uh, yes. who is a, known to be a quite a cantankerous fellow, but a, a really good artist. And he is responsible for creating the aesthetic look and the feel of He-Man and all the ancillary or tertiary characters. Uh, he'll claim, uh, Mark Taylor that he created He-Man. And Skeletor. And Skeletor and everyone else. Whereas, and I, I think, uh, uh, Roger Sweet gives him credit for Skeletor and all the other ones. But, Skeletor, yeah. But Roger, what's his, is Roger Sweet? He's like, dude, I, I invented He-Man. I, I, I'm the one to put all those muscles on that big gym doll. Yeah. I, I came, he came up with the name He-Man. He was the one who decided to give He-Man a, a grimace on his face, whereas Star Wars figures and all the other figures were just expressionless. Uh, so in my, after watching this, I, I, I definitely think those guys deserve equal credit. I, I think you got to give them co, co-creator credit. Well, you also got to give Frank Frazetta credit as well, uh, because he was the inspiration for all nah, that. Nah. I thought it was pretty interesting that the artist dude, you know, the reason why he claims credit is because he already had that Frank Frazetta style barbarian that he has been drawing since high school, you right. know, as, as his own comic. And then they, he, he purposed that into, uh, Sweet's, uh, vision. Yeah. I always think that that's, that's a really interesting type thing when you have like all this thing, all these things that kind of come together, uh, because you have a lot of hands in the making of that He-Man character. You have the marketing analysis, you have sweet, you have the drawings that actually finished, fleshed it out, uh, without each of their input, He-Man wouldn't be what it is. Yeah, no, that's but, why. I- Home yeah. dude was like straight up with Skeletor. I thought that I thought Skeletor's origin was very very cool. Oh well, I, I'm going to touch on that in just a minute. Actually, yeah. uh, where where his concept for Skeletor got. Um, so the rough concept of He-Man was then take. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, I already mentioned uh, Roger Sweet. Bomb. That that they didn't get too much into it as far as. But it was kind of cool. You always hear like bands talk about 30, 40 years later who actually wrote the song. I, I, I was listening to, uh, Howard Stern this week. They had kid kiss on and, uh, Paul Stanley was swearing. He wrote strutter. He's like, I came in the studio. I had strutter. I started playing it strutter and Gene's like, that's absolutely false. Like I came up with strutter. I. I, you know, he had like a whole thing where that word came and it was like, they, it was fun. It was Joe, you know, it wasn't uh, a hostile thing. I mean, obviously the guys yeah. have been for 50 years now after, but it's like, boy, even in making toys, those, the egos, uh, you can see these guys got an ego on them and that's. Uh, happens with every creative type. It sure does. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I kind of thought that was cool. And. And I mean, kudos was, to the editing team on this doc to oh, capture all of that. The real and, and do it in a way to where, like, it was like they were. It was almost like you could tell that these were these interviews were filmed separately, 
But the way that they cut it, it was almost like each one was reacting to what the other person said the, in a great way. The cutaway reaction shots, like when when uh, when when Taylor takes credit for He Man, and they cut back to Sweet just kind of rolling his eyes, and like yeah. they do they do that throughout, and it's so perfect. Especially later when they use clips from the He Man cartoon to accent certain <laughs> points and stuff. It, it's a really well edited. I agree with you. It's absolutely yeah. well edited. What I was really impressed with too is. One, it was really cool to hear these guys' stories about their careers and adventures making all the fun shit we played with as kids. And it seemed like the funnest job you could ever have as a grown-up, and they pretty much all said it was. But it also shocked me that all the key players from 1982 were still alive. Yeah. It wasn't – they never – They got to be young. I mean, they had to be young at that time. I mean – but they never referenced like, oh, you know, so and so, God rest his soul, came up with. No, they, everyone was there. Everyone participated. It it, it it didn't have any gaps in the in the yeah. interview. There was no mysterious key players that we couldn't hear from, which was awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah. I watched the Star Wars episode two, which was really good, and that there were some missing voices, but it was but they still had a ton of the 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 people you wanted to hear from. To, to your point, the Skeletor backstory. So Mark Taylor told the story about when he was a kid, he went uh, to this amusement park and he went into the fun house, haunted house. And all of a sudden the skeleton swung out from behind a door hanging there. And it scared the shit out of him, of course. But he swore as a kid that it was a real skeleton. A human and he ske- said that he could even, he could even smell death. It smelled like yeah. a dead body. And then that's stuck with him his whole life. And that is what he based Skeletor on. But then it got even weirder. He said years later, he was watching some documentary on that amusement park and it turned out it was a real skeleton. I thought that was cool. That was so cool. But they got a, they have a dead body in a, in a amusement park scaring kids. That's pretty dark. It was the sixties. I mean, you know, (laughs) Well, hey, speaking of dark stuff real quick, if you were listening to me earlier, you know all about the newly released tubular-shaped dark bits of awesomeness that uh, were just unleashed by our good friends over at Drew Estate. And if you weren't listening to me earlier, shame on you. I'll bet Buzz Off is your favorite He-Man figure. Remember that guy, the little bee, Bubble Bee with the wings? Uh, no, Quaffle. Quaffle it is. No, or Skunko, the one that emitted the smell. No, that was Stinkor. Stinkor? Stinkor. <laughs> Yeah. And he actually did emit a horrible stench uh when you were playing with him at home. Uh hey, you don't have to blame the dog anymore. It's Stinkor. Oh god, honey. Nah, the kid's playing with Stinkor over there. Dark, bold, and unapologetic. The Blackened Cigars M81 by Drew Estate is an intense journey into the uncharted, deepest, darkest, heaviest depths of Maduro Tobacco. A masterpiece collaboration between Metallica's James Hetfield, Sweet Amber Distilling's Rob Dietrich, and Drew Estate's own Jonathan Drew. The All Maduro Blackened Cigars M81 by Drew Estate is rich, it's powerful, but beautifully balanced, as we said. Offering tantalizing notes of leather, chocolate, and espresso that's perfect for both life celebrations and times of reflection. As we said earlier, go grab one. You won't be disappointed. Yes, yes, it's a very fine cigar. So once the initial batch of figures and the amazing Castle Grayskull itself were completed, 
uh, Mattel had sales representatives from the big toy stores come in for presentation. The sales reps loved the look, but their one concern was, you know, Star Wars had a movie to tell these kids when the toys showed up, uh, you know, a year later from Star Wars, they knew who these kids, Luke Skywalker was. They knew who yeah. Darth Vader was. The, there's no context for these He-Man. How are the kids going to know what the, how to play? Cause they have no, yeah. nothing to base it on. So right there in that meeting, one of the, uh, Mattel guys named Mark Ellis, who was the VP of Boys Toys at that time, told the uh, buyers that a mini miniature comic book with the characters' backstories would be included with each purchase. And boom, the toy stores loved it. They're like, that's brilliant. And one of the guys turned to the Ellis and he's like, when'd you come up with that? And he's like, just now, like <laughs> just bullshitting, bullshit. Pretty damn brilliant. Like I said, this is why it's like all my all of my childhood memories. I love this. This is the best thing I played with that. How was it created? Fuck it. Just throw that shit out there. <laughs> well, my well, favorite one though is that when the the response was uh um this is targeted to five year olds. Oh no, no, that's that's the so that so they had a meeting with everybody but the big one, Toys R Us. A few weeks later, they got this comic book in production that everything problem solved. So they meet it with Toys R Us. Hey, if they ask about the backstory, we got these little tiny comic books and the Toys R Us. The, these are smart folks. They're number one for a reason. They were like, well, that's great, but we're selling these to five year olds and five year olds can't read. <laughs> what, what the hell good is a comic book going to do us once again Long. on the spot? Same guy, Mark Ellis, pulls another solution out of his ass. Oh, we're going to collaborate with the Saturday morning cartoon juggernaut filmation to do uh, a couple one-hour He-Man specials to to spell everything out for the kids. Toys R Us, thumbs up. To, all right, we're on board. Let's do it. Those cartoons turned into not an hour special. The filmation folks said, you know what? They did like Super Friends and a ton of the Saturday morning stuff. They were like, you know what? For the same money, just do a do a series. Um, well, technically, what they took was, if you they said it in there, was the uh, his late seventies, early eighties cartoon Black Star. They liked was, they liked what Filmation had done with Black Star as far as handling which, fans. If you looked at the Black Star, and, and uh, I had watched it before, it's basically almost a He Man. There is a sword, and it's in two parts. Really? Yeah. Well, the cartoons would end up being what drew me really into the world of He-Man. I love yeah, that cartoon. Yeah. Uh, it was Saturday morning was dominated by He-Man. Watch the cartoon, then go play with the toys. Like that, that judge, that spur of the moment call to, to branch off into cartoons was huge. And sure enough, it wasn't just me. It was that, that's what catapulted this thing to the next level. Uh, speaking of the sword yaks, well, the mini comics gave He-Man his backstory and the comics gave the, the backstory of the swords. Great. The, the, what was the sword called? Yanks. It was just the sword of power. The sword of power. It had, it was, it snapped into two parts. Skeletor, Skeletor had one. He-Man had one. And the whole goal was to unite the sword into one which you could then stick into the keyhole of Castle Grayskull. Unlock, By the power of Grayskull. 
unlock unlock the jaw bridge. We'll play on words there. And you get to go in and experience all the magic of power of Castle Grayskull. That was uh from the, the comics, but it was the cartoons that followed that revealed He-Man's Prince Adam alter ego. When he wasn't He-Man, he looked like He-Man only wore a pink vest and uh he just kind of hung out and, and was very un-He-Man like. Uh kind of like Peter Parker, I guess, but but I mean, just ripped, like, oh, <laughs> in it now. This pink vest is just gonna pop right off. He, he was hey. still He Man, so he was still jacked up. He oh, he's still huge. Up. And they're like, hey, is that He Man? I don't know. Oh, he's got a pink vest on. I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> um, and they add- just roll up and just, just flex my pecs over here for a minute. Oh. Well, they, the cartoon also added a, we we joked about earlier, but a much needed amount of levity and some humor to the franchise. Uh, this wasn't 2023 where everything has to be super dark and heavy and, and they, they really went lighthearted on a lot of it with some Orco was the big, a big source of comic relief. Um, but for me as a what six, seven year old kid, I, I, I ate it up. I loved it. I, no, you're not going to get any complaining about the cartoon from me. Castle Grayskull was like the toy to have them when I was like in the first or second grade, man. You, you had to have a Castle Grayskull. That was like a big Christmas present. I still have the Castle Grayskull. You do? Dude. Really? Yes. Awesome. Do you play with it? No. Why would you think that? <laughs> do you want to take it out into the woods with me this weekend? Maybe. Now we're talking. What are you doing in the woods? Say no. Say no. Bring, bring a shovel. <laughs> Do it. Well, now I'm not going. <laughs> Tutter, you. I was going to offer to show up with the Orco action figure I just purchased off Amazon.com, but now that Yax is bringing a shovel, I ain't going out there. <laughs> so in early uh, 1982, the toys and the comics were unleashed on the toy buy toy buying public, and kids went fucking bananas for it it looks so different all the other action figures were about three and three quarter inch tall star wars and everything else these big fuckers came in at a massive five and a half inches and they flew off the shelves uh mattel had hoped for 13 million dollars in sales the first year they did 38 yaks that's a lot of money isn't it it is a lot of money in in 1982 dollars 1983 dollars hell yeah well check this shit out it then brought in 80 million in 1983, 111 million in 84, and 250 million in 85. That's gotta be it, right? No. It brought in a whopping 400 million in 1986 alone. All from, all from that sweet dude slapping some clay on a big gym figure. Yeah. That's crazy. Crazy. The rest is toy history. Not only did He-Man branch out licensing-wise, of course, like Star Wars, to bed sheets, lunch boxes, and all the normal kid merchandise, but it spun off a successful, uh, due to the Mattel, uh, girls, girls toys department, uh, a spinoff called She-Ra. Cause all these boys are playing with their He-Man dolls. Their sister wants in on it. We gotta give her She-Ra. 
So they came up with a She-Ra and girls, it, it generated a legitimate interest and it sold a lot. It worked. These guys could do no wrong. Until 1987, when sales plummeted to a mere $7 million, you guessed it, that's when the Masters of the Universe film came into play. We need something. Uh, and that was not the something that they needed. Uh, the country was just kind of he manned out at that point. They made a point to where they were like, you could get all the as they called it, the tertiary characters, but you couldn't find your your mainstays. You couldn't find He-Man. You couldn't find Skeletor. And I'm, I'm really curious at, from a production, just from a co- from a company, I mean, that's your bread and butter. You've got, it's not like they couldn't afford it. You got, you're making 400 million in sales. Why, I mean, why the inventory loss? It was a cute, why it, the it was supply a cute- chain issue. It was a very curious, uh, brief thing that was brought up, the inventory issue and how any kid that was new to the, the brand couldn't get the core, like, like the doctor had, you know, Beastman, He-Man, Tila, the, 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 the original Han, Leah and Chewie. Yeah. They couldn't get them. They didn't want Mer- just to go out and buy Merman or. Well, I mean, look at it because, you know, when you launch and you've got your five-year-olds and then by this time they're eight and nine-year-olds, I mean, by that time they're, they're, they're growing up, they've got a little bit of different interest and yet you've got nothing to, to hook the next. Yeah. It'd be like, it'd, it'd be like a young, it'd be like a young kid who did their first Star Wars movie they saw was Return of the Jedi. And they go to the store to get a Han Solo or an Ewok, and all they can get is, you know, fucking Neem Num or Admiral Adbar. Yeah. And you're like, what the fuck? I'm bringing that Neem Num heat in here. We love Neem Num. It's why I think there's a little bit of bullshit in that part that they didn't have those characters to sell anymore. I think that the guys that were, you know, the kids that were five, six years old and 82. Now they're 10, 11 and they, they've kind of, I think, I think it's like, I think what you said, Kay, where it was he manned out. I think they just, people just moved on. And, and when I was thinking about it, uh, I was thinking about all the action figures, you know, because I mentioned some of the clash, the Titans, we all have the star Wars figures, um, there was the DC comics ones that came out in the mid eighties, the superpowers. Oh, yeah. Um, I remember being big into those. And I also remember for those of us that were kids in that time period that right around the same time, about 83 or so is when I got my first home video game console. I had in, in television. And then you jump ahead a few years to about 87, and that's when, well, that sucks. And the Atari that your neighbor has sucks. Now I've got a Nintendo. I, I think I kind of, you mentioned they glossed over it. We, we had all these tertiary characters sitting on the shelves. There was something to that, but I really think it was just more of that generation was five or six years older and had moved on to something else. And the new group of five-year-olds in 1987, there was just something else. I think that there's probably, they probably were going straight into the Intellivisions. Yeah. Um, 
No, that's that's that's. I think that's really valid. I, I will say this though. Man, I miss that if, in television. Actually, <laughs> if the if the movie had been well done, this would have kept the train would have kept on rolling along. Yeah, because I mean, did y'all ever have the Rambo action figure? I mean, I had that. I had like and... the knockoff Rambo action. Well, actually, no, I did have the Rambo action figure. Yeah, well, that's and then I had some knockoff ones knife? that. Oh yeah, he had the knife. But the movie based, you know, bared almost no resemblance now to the canon storylines that have been established with the toys and the comics yeah. and the cartoons that the kids grew up uh, loving. And when it tanked at the box office, that was, you know, the beginning of the end, as we said, uh, Mattel shut the line down. And before they did that, though, it was also kind of just a quick moment where they were like, they told Roger Sweet, the guy who invented all this shit, that he wasn't doing a good job anymore, bringing life to the thing. They kicked him off the He-Man line. And, dude, you could see the hurt in his face when he was. Yeah, it was his baby. It's like, dude, the guy Give the guy a break, man. I mean, you know. Hopefully, whatever, he made that bonuses. Whatever was going wrong wasn't Roger Sweet's fault. And not only that, but I mean, in the grand scheme of things, he brought in what eight hundred million dollars to your company. I don't think they fired him. I just think they they they. Well, no, I mean, him. and it you can't even say that they still owned all the rights to it, and it's not like it died because it. They were still, there was, the toys were still out there. People were still, you know, they were secondhand. And then a new, uh, animated cartoon came out in 90, the new adventures of He-Man. It well, only ran for a couple seasons, but <laughs> look, I didn't watch it. I, I heard, I heard stories. Yeah, sure you did. I, I, actually, I actually have the box set on, on uh, DVD. I'll bring it out to the woods with us this weekend. But again, now in 1990, the uh, kids. Yeah. Or now they're all of a sudden right well i mean it, it was it, it's certainly a different time and then they uh so it was dormant for a while then they brought it back and then they did it a, another one i think what 2002 ish or so they gave it another shot uh this one uh the purists the he-man purists that uh live and breathe he-man felt it was i think a little bit closer to he-man what he-man should be yes it was a little more advanced in the animation and with that, they also started pumping money back into new toys, yeah. uh, trying to capitalize on it. And the, the show apparently was well received. The toys looked great, but it didn't go anywhere. Um, so once again, it was, it was shut down until here we are in 2023. So now we have, as Yax taught us several new He-Man cause they're bringing air, you know, if you're gonna have yeah, Magnum, think, you gotta have. I think Doc here. is on. I think Doc is on something to hit the head, of the head on the nail with the the birth of the consoles, because now the new kids they're they're growing up with Nintendos, you know, and just you know, were action figures a big deal in two thousands? I don't know. Cade, you have daughters. I mean, we don't really know that. I mean, do, do little boys today, do they play with action figures? I mean, that, that was what you wanted for your birthday and for Christmas was you wanted the Star Wars play sets. Yeah. I, you wanted the Talk Village. You wanted that stuff. Do do the kids today play with that? Ah, they're playing with like Roblox and stuff. I, I can only speak from a, a dot. I have two daughters. So, um, 
I, I haven't spent a lot of time around young boys, but I mean, young girls certainly in those years, uh, still play with Barbies. Barbie's still huge. Yeah. Uh, they still, they still play with, uh, all sorts of little dolls and little figures and little accessories. And I mean, my house is filled with little, little people, uh, lots yeah. of Barbies, but also just little, other other little lines of, of dolls. And there's still there's still lots. If you go through the toy section of a Target or a Walmart, there's still Star Wars and yeah, Marvel. Yeah, but let's but Tut, let's be honest. I would be willing to bet the farm that easily. I was gonna say seventy five percent. I'll go eighty percent of those Star Wars toys that you see at Target are being bought by guys our age. Could be. Could be. Um, yeah, I, that's, okay. I, I'm just wondering. I'm glad to hear that about your daughters because it just seems like not only is there just an innocence to playing with those kinds of toys, but I, I just feel like just and it's generational that there's just a, a building of the imagination that comes from that. Yeah. That, uh, I would I would assume with the the only thing that that's going to prompt me to say this is just. The, the kids now have this amazing, uh, like we, we had Star Wars with the Marvel movies. I mean, those kids have to, maybe you know something here, the acts that I don't, but I would think now those kids, when they leave an Avengers movie, a five or six year old kid, I would think he'd be begging his mom for a Spider-Man action figure or an Iron oh, Man yes. action figure. I there would think are that multiple lines. But I think those would be, boys. those would be bought by kids and actually played with. Well, yeah. yeah. And that's what I'm saying. You can, I mean, the action figures you see today, there's such a realism in them that not only are they for to, you know, toys for kids to play with, they are literally also being made for older people as a collectible. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I mean, you know, He-Man was just, you know, there was no like, you know, little line and shading effects on the edges or we need to put, make sure that his boots look dirty and, you know, no, but all of the things today are very much so, but you know, and like Marvel, I mean, you've got toys that are made for five-year-olds. You got toys that are made for 10-year-olds. You've got, you know, and there, and there's different, and there's just a different, different levels. But yeah, I, I, so are there different lines then that you think just what you said is very interesting to me because the, 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 the toys from our generation, they were not made for adults. Nobody thought when they were producing those action figures that someone's going to hang on to this and this is going to be worth hundreds of dollars and it's packaged someday. They were for children to play with and to break. Correct. So in your, in your opinion, are they now kind of making almost different lines like this is one that we're marketing for the kids to play with and this is maybe kind of one for the adults to buy and, and put on their shelves yes it, yes but I, like i said they in many instances now they they combine it together like this is the this is the toy but they give it a, a more attention to detail that they would not have done in previous toy lines so you can get this action figure because, and then they do, you know, there are companies that quote unquote just make collectibles. And, and, and it, it is the 
you know, the penultimate action figure, you know, on, you know, you buy one and it's so like, you know, you know, they talk about it like, you know, the, the Star Wars toys and, and the He-Man toys were just five points of articulation. The head turn, and you could move the arms and the legs and that was it. But these ones, you know, I mean, it is almost like a, a you know, that miniature anatomical model. You can make till that, any till that battle chest came out and you can pull that arm back, let that spring go, and he cracks Skeletor in the chest and it flips over that chest till to the yeah. scars. Hey, don't get me started on Fisto. <laughs> uh, but no, but I mean, TX point, I know it's been a while, but we, you guys have spent many a night here in the corner of No Hope where I'm recording from. I mean, this place is a museum of action figures. Everything from stuff I, I had as a kid is, uh, is up on the shelves to, you know, uh, a still in the package Han Solo that I got when I was probably 19 or 20. Uh, you know, a, a 12 inch full, you know, real clothes. Uh, you know, and then there's other, there's other, co- you know, collectibles that, you know, you know, clearly not made for children. I mean, they're, they're made for guys like me who are happy looking at something that reminds them of, of their childhood. Yeah. And that's fine. That's cool. And, and there's a, it kind of brings me back to the beginning. We're going full circle here where I used to kind of roll my eyes and lament the, the laziness of Hollywood. You know, do we, do we really need uh, a new wonder years or the doctor? I know you were really excited about fuller house on Netflix. So I'm not going to bring it up, but do you, (laughs) uh, but you know what, if there's, if Fuller house, if people tune in because they love watching full house as a kid and it makes them happy to see these characters brought back. What's wrong with that? Who am I to piss on that when, you know, I just enjoyed 45 minutes of He-Man nostalgia uh, that made me happy. You know, I, I, I guess it's just so common now that everything old is new again. If you, if you want, if you want something from your childhood to come back, just hold your breath and wait and it, it's coming. I, it, I used to just, you know, piss in my Cheerios about it. And, and you know what? This last week and thinking about all this stuff, I'm just like, yeah, fuck it. Why not? You know? Yeah. If, if, if it strikes a chord and makes somebody happy and it, and it produces enough results to where it makes someone money, fuck yeah. Except they're redoing that stupid ass show, Frasier. They, that's, get rid of that shit. <laughs> I think yeah, they're so it's damn one, smart. One thing to watch a documentary on this that was nostalgic and I really, really enjoyed it. You know, there's another thing to keep rehashing old ideas. Uh, but I see where you're going. Yeah, I guess maybe I'm, yeah, I'm just not as quite as cranky and pissy as I was a few years ago. I'm just too tired to be pissy. Uh, anyway, all right. Well, I'm glad you guys, so you guys dug it. Yeah, oh, I, I enjoyed oh, it a much. lot. The only thing that I will say that was I the only one that kind of got pissed off that I, I guess it's because like as a marketer and you know, I've seen it from the agency side and on one hand, I was just enthralled with the documentary because it was a lot of the, the marketing information that was behind the toys. But then there was a part of me that was pissed off that 
I was just a stat that they were trying to, I was a demographic piece that they were exploiting. Oh, I thought I, you were, I thought you were going to say you were one of those five-year-old boys that they, they trapped and studied. <laughs> no. we discussing about hammering the innocence out of you finally of course you were well that's what we uh, all fuck the it, electrodes to him it kind of it kind of pissed me off to yeah, a but little tut, bit tut, we, we're still we're still victims of it every time i go into the store to get a new craft beer gee that can has a cool logo on it Oh hey! I know, I know, I know, yeah. I know. I I, I or, understand or hell, it all, dude. Dude, cigars. I know, I know. You, we, so we're making the same cigar, but with slightly different tint and an alternate variant logo. This one hey. is a chromium cover. <laughs> The hey, innocence so, of it, the associated with it, though, Tut, is that when we were playing with these action figures when they were six and seven years old, we had no knowledge of that, and we couldn't have given a fuck. Yeah. We just got it the way that we wanted, and it brought us joy to have it. That didn't matter. I know, but I just... Hey, we got this... Old takers, Tut. <laughs> hey, we got the fact that a bunch of uh, old dudes got one over on me. And... I don't know, Tut, if that's old cantankerous. That... Buddy, I'm going to have to pull rank on you here. That sounds a little bit hipster to me. You realize tonight's cigar is an old brand. Tonight's cigar, the Los Statos, is basically the big gym action figure. It's an old line, old cigar. They just slap some Matt Booth on it, and all of a sudden, people are talking about it. Ooh, cigar smokers like Matt Booth. Let's put some Boothy on this. And I thought we agreed to call it the Los Stratos. We're going to reveal all of these secrets and more on episode one of Drunk Aliens. <laughs> oh, Tut. damn those drunk aliens. Tut, bring the camera gear with you to the woods this weekend. We'll need it. Tut, don't go anywhere near those fucking woods, brother. Oh, I'm not. I'm not. Uh-uh. Not for the that drunken has, aliens thing. For the that smoke. has drunk alien written all over it. <laughs> well, there'll be some drinking, of course. Uh, I don't go out into the woods without some delicious rakia. When Cade says bring a shovel, don't go into those woods. <laughs> How else are we going to dig up the penthouse magazines? Yeah. Uh-huh. It ain't what he's digging up, Todd. It's what he's putting in the ground I'm worried about. Uh, put, <laughs> putting stuff in a lot of things. Uh, Todd, do you want to give everybody at home some useful links? Uh, yeah, you can hit us up on Instagram at TNCC underscore podcast. You can hit us up on Facebook, uh, Tuesday Night Cigar Club. Please subscribe to us on YouTube, Tuesday Night Cigar Club. Uh, if you want to buy some of this delicious Los Statos, not Los Stratos. Statos. Yeah, whatever. Uh, go to the Tuesday Night Cigar Club.com website. Click on the famous smoke shop banner. They got 20% off of that box plus our promo code. Uh, which is automatically entered, and you get another $20 off. It's a great freaking deal. Here's a pro tip. Find what you want on Famous, put it in your cart, then click on the Cigar Monster button. That's got about 50 things that day updated daily that are on sale, most with free shipping. So throw a fiver in there, because shipping is going to cost you between 10 and 20 bucks. Throw a fiver of something you never had in your cart for 20 bucks. Get the free shipping. And then you throw that TNCC20 promo code on there. You're getting 20 bucks off and free shipping. Come on now. 
That's a good deal. That is a good, good deal. Uh, well, thank you everyone for joining us. Uh, uh, you know what? Probably drop this episode. Why not? Let's drop it on St. Patty's Day. Uh, so happy St. Patty's Day to everyone but the edge. No, happy St. Patty's Day to you, the edge. Don't you call him edge. It's the edge. It's the edge. We need to offer a disclaimer. Cade's antipathy towards the edge is not shared by the entire Tuesday Night Scar Club. Agreed. Well, I'm going to have to look up what antipathy means, but I think you're wrong. <laughs> I, books, mister. You're going to need to read a few. Hey, reading edifies the mind. That, that it does. Uh, but thanks, everybody, for joining us. Have a safe and uh festive St. Patrick's Day. If you're listening to this and you're driving around looking for a party on St. Patrick's Day, first of all, get an Uber. You don't need to be driving around on St. Patrick's Day. Second of all, I don't care where you are. Drive your ass to O'Brien's Irish Pub in downtown historic Temple, Texas. Get this, boys. For the first time in years, they got a the bag a bagpipe player's back. Bagpiper. So as you eat your uh haggis and your uh that's uh, not Irish. That's, that's Scottish. Oh, uh, <laughs> as you eat your blooming onions, bangers. He's on the bangers. Roll. Bangers and mash, and fish and chips, and fish and chips. Eat your blooming onion. And your blooming the way Australian all of a sudden. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, it's right next to Ireland. They're Come native. on down to O'Brien's, and we'll kill some koala bears together. <laughs> I'm Mel Gibson. Have a St. Patrick's Day. Are you still selling those koala chips, Yaks, or did you get those pulled off the menu? There, there was never any koala chips. Supply chain. There's a secret menu if you order from that you could get it. Wait, uh, no, there's there's no no menu. It's not a secret anymore. Uh, we'll have a great St. Patrick's Day. You know what? I might go out. I might come to the pub on St. Patrick's Day and have a pint. All are welcome. You doing green beer? You damn right we are. All right, look at Todd. He's even drinking out of his O'Brien's giant oversized stein. <sighs> Good times. Well, I'm not coming out, but I'll be there in spirit, my friend. In the meantime, uh, keep uh, keep checking out our Instagram, especially our stories. That's where you can find out kind of what we're up to on a weekly basis when we're not in your ear and eye holes. Um, speaking of being in your ears and eye holes, uh, we'll talk after the show, guys, about how you want to get out to the woods. If you guys want to meet up first and go together, if you just want to, uh, I actually drew a map when I was a kid. I've got that to go by, but it's pretty, it's in pretty rough shape. Uh, I, I'm even a little uncomfortable touching that thing. Uh, but we'll, we'll figure that out. That's inside baseball. We'll talk about that later. In the meantime, folks, I don't care if there's a Chinese hot air balloon above your head. I don't care if there's a crop circle in your front yard. Always remember, may the wings of liberty never lose a feather. Good journeys. That's what they say in the He-Man movie whenever they leave. Good journey. Good journeys. We'll just say, sayonara, motherfuckers. We'll see you next time. Bye. Learn more about the time I attended a He-Man fan convention in Orlando, Florida, wearing my best cosplay Fisto costume, and I was almost immediately escorted out the door by security as I was being informed that A. 
Fisto never used his fisting powers quite like that in the original cartoon series. And B, I had accidentally walked into a Scooby-Doo fan convention and not the He-Man event, which was several blocks away. And you can read my publicly posted, heartfelt personal apology letter, which reads, and I quote, To the poor bastard in the shaggy costume, you didn't deserve what happened to you that warm day in Orlando. And there's no amount of fisting, or whatever the opposite of fisting is, unfisting deep. Yeah, um, well, whatever it is, there's no amount of it that can bring back your innocence. At the very least, I owe you a new brown pair of slacks, and I suppose I owe that cosplay Fred a new ascot, due to him using his former one to help clean up the mess that I, largely, with, with, with some help, created. Well, yeah, kind of help, but alas, I am only a humble a humble podcast voiceover artist and diehard Fisto fan. So don't hold your collective breath as I have no money for any possible reparations. I'd say good luck finding me, suckers, but I slashed the tires of your mystery machine van on my way out of the parking lot. Really, an old Chevy Astro van is the best you could do. Talk about super lame. Kindest regards, Keith. And that, my friends is how you apologize. Bam! Mic drop. What? No, I'm not going to drop my mic. This thing's expensive. Oh, um, and of course, to learn more about the cigars enjoyed on tonight's episode, please visit CigarWorld.com. Devil Dogs! ah For more on O'Brien's Irish Pub, the live music leader in Central Texas... Please visit O'BrienSimple.com and download their free smartphone app where you'll find full beer listings including over 40 on tap, menu information, and a calendar of upcoming live events. To listen and purchase music heard on tonight's program, check out www.FritzBeerMusic.com. Thank you for listening to the Tuesday Night Cigar Club Podcast. This is Keith A. Howell saying until next time, friends, unless we see you sooner at the pub. So keep it smoky, and for God's sake, keep it ballsy as well.